0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend
2: Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Good Thursday morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, uh, accompanied by my, my cohort here, Jeff Simpson, and, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Terry South. Today, uh, got a big, uh, some good news for Puerto Rico. Apparently, there was some act. The that, Jones Act. The Jones Act that was a billion years old.
4: 1920.
2: Okay. Yeah. 1920 that was blocking uh, recovery efforts. And it had
4: something to do with if you're going to have U.S. shipping from the U.S. with U.S. goods, it had to be on a U.S. ship or you had to pay extra taxes once it got to Puerto Rico. And it's like, just Brilliant. send them the relief supplies. Brilliant. Dude. Let's worry about the taxes yeah.
2: going into Puerto Rico. But now. Now they're saying, okay, now we can send the ships. Now we can send everything in because we're we're worried about this tax law. Is that yesterday? Do you, do you yes, buy that though? Or I, don't or I mean, know. that just seems like a little. Yesterday,
4: President Trump was like, we're not sure if we're going to waive this. And then John McCain and some people got together and they're like, come on, man, what are we doing? Why? We, why are and they then, not? And then, like, well, it's under review. And then they're saying we're not just going to waive this because it's it's cheaper for. For people or something, there's some, all these different but excuses. Why, why can <laughs> you
2: just get the goods on, into Puerto Rico and then let's decide that later?
5: Well, you got to save face because if you don't react immediately, then you have to explain why you didn't react immediately. So it's about saving face.
2: It's, it is about saving. And it may very well be about um, – we're talking about taxing ships yeah. going in to provide relief. Wow. I wonder what that tax is. That's the <laughs> relief tax? Sorry, we have to charge you for this service? Yeah, so... Anyway, uh, good news, though, for Puerto Rico, apparently, that uh, not only will the president be there on Tuesday, you might have some goods there even sooner, and... uh you know, that's just the beginning of, of some of the issues going on with Puerto Rico. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else is going on around the country we should be paying attention
4: to? One week after Hurricane Marie inv- invaded Puerto Rico, frustration growing as relief supplies are arriving on the island, but getting to them, n- n- to the nearly 3.5 million people in desperate need, is uh, close to impossible. Power still out. the FCC said Wednesday more than 91% of cell phone sites are out of service on on the island. Puerto Rico's governor says the food and water and medicine were just sitting at the port waiting to be delivered. 3,000 shipping containers have been sitting in port since Saturday with enough supplies to help half a million Puerto Ricans. The problem, according to the shipping companies, are many and frustrating. Roads are still blocked or flooded. Uh, truck drivers are tending to their damaged homes. Their trucks were destroyed. They don't have fuel or they're out of contact because electricity and cell phone service is down. Yeah. So they have all these trailers. They're ready to go. There's no trucks to pull the trailers. We and need once they trucks. get moving, there's no roads to drive on. Man.
2: So, yeah. So what's going to happen is everyone will migrate over to the shipping yards.
4: So they're trying to get the bus drivers on the island to drive the trucks. Except again, we're back to no trucks, and then they can't get in contact with the bus drivers because they're trying to, you know. And there will probably be a law
2: that says truck drivers aren't allowed allowed to drive, or uh, bus drivers aren't allowed to drive the
4: trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So. Lots of problems. A lot as of you problems. Said. Other news, President Trump introduced his tax reform plan Wednesday, telling a crowd at the Indiana Fairgrounds Farm Bureau building. I'm not sure why that detail was included, but yeah, there you go. Uh, in Indianapolis, that American's waste so much money each year to comply with our ridiculously complex tax code. He added that we are making our tax system simple again. We're simplifying it. The plan, which proposes shrinking the seven individual tax brackets down to three 12, 25, and 35 yeah. percent, is being promoted as a win for the middle class because it will also double the standard deduction for all taxpayers from 12000 to $24,000. That's a win. Critics, though, point out that it raises taxes on the lowest income bracket from 10% to 12%. Mm. So they end up paying more tax- taxes. And it also uh, lowers the taxes for the wealthiest Americans from 39 35 nah. why why would you at all need why would you go for two percent of the poorest population well you know they've had this free ride the whole time
2: no they With pay 10 percent on no money so why raise it to 12 hey, percent
4: matt you just can't coast through life and on and But wh- so why
2: go from what was it 41 percent to 30 or 39 percent to 36 percent well just
4: just leave the rich where they are it's They're, business if the, you give the rich more money then they give people jobs it's how yeah. this works Okay. Just, I was just trying to figure. Yeah, that what out. is wrong with
2: just keeping them at the
5: same? Just, level? I mean,
4: th- th- I don't. You don't hear a lot of rich complaining. Oh, they complain a lot. They just complain to the representatives who they give money to for their campaigns.
2: Oh, okay.
5: That and makes then they sense. go
4: yeah. through and help so them they don't, out. In yeah, taxes. They,
2: they, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they just complain to these their are rep. all
4: stereotypes. Not sure exactly if they're true, but yeah. you know, scary. It feels good being in the middle and shaking up at the rich guy. Are you in the middle? I think we're all kind of right there. I, I don't know. No? Hmm. Is, that, is that too I'm, generous that's on why my I'm part?
2: Fighting for that two percent.
4: All right. Well, Doesn't tr- seem fair. that's the other thing. They haven't said where the money is. What, what right. where you're because you see, yeah. like, between like 50 and 90. And then, well,
2: one of the big cuts will be an inheritance tax. So, all okay. of the wealthy that have some inheritance to give, they don't want their kids taxed at a crazy rate. Right. So, that will be one of the taxes given to the rich, taken away. So, now they- you call it
4: the inheritance tax, other call it the death tax. Yeah. I'm actually not in the middle, I'm
5: on the lower end, but, uh, and Jeff Simpson's not even my real name. Let's just say. Oh, I know.
2: We're we're
4: on the Jasper. run. We're on oh. the run.
2: Oh boy, I knew it.
4: Trump's we're in
5: hot to some bad people.
4: Trump insisted he goes. This plan isn't good for me. Believe me, like you know, he's giving himself a hit. But <sighs> other people say that because of the business, the cut in business taxes, that's going to help him out anyway. So, but again, honestly, where are the Democrats? They're asking. Uh, so it says here, some of the analysts say that ta- the tax plan will reduce government funding by two trillion. Over 10 years. So the money the government brings in, they're going to lose $2 trillion. Where is that money coming from? No,
2: no, no. It's it's going to inject trillions of other dollars back into the economy because the wealthy will have more money. The middle class will have more money to spend. Everyone will have more money because it will magically
4: appear. The plan was to cut Medicaid funding Mm -hmm. and to fund the taxes, but that fell apart. That's why they did health first because taxes needed that boost from the health savings and that didn't happen. I don't
5: know if it would boost it because I've heard that richer people are a
4: little stingy. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Hmm. Wrong. (laughs) So weird. In other news, Rick Pitino, University of Louisville basketball coach, has been effectively fired after being placed on administrative leave, as attorney said. The Courier-Journal reported Wednesday that in the coach's contract, it requires he be given 10 days notice before he's officially fired. Oh. He's got an interesting contract. Patino's dismissal comes a day after the FBI charged 10 people for involvement in a corruption and fraud scheme in the the, uh, NCAA. Louisville's interim president confirmed Tuesday that the university is part of the investigation and that the allegation is a serious concern that goes to the heart of our athletic department and university. One of the allegations is there's a player that signed with Louisville and his family got somewhere around $100,000... And then the guy signed with Louisville. And that was an assistant coach at Louisville oh, wow. that made all that happen. And Rip Petino's trying to say, I had nothing to do with this. I had no idea my assistant coach was brokering a $100,000 deal that involved a star player that I was trying to recruit.
5: Mm. I like the adjective effective.
2: Yeah. How was your firing of Pitino? Oh, was it very effective? Uh, it was one of my most effective firings. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Rick, you're going to be fired on the 10th of yeah. October.
6: How's that? <laughs> you have 10 days.
4: Let's schedule your firing. Um, Finally, the United States and Russia agreed Wednesday to collaborate on a first ever international lunar outpost. Wha- who? Mm. Russia? Russia and the United States. Ho,
1: ho, 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 ho. Mm. Yeah. We're, not,
4: we're not talking with Russia, are we? Oh, yeah. NASA's working with them. It's fine. How wow. else are we going to get to space? We need Russia. Okay. The modular habitat known as Deep Space Gateway, or DSG, oh, would on. orbit the moon in the 2020s and serve as a stepping stone towards a mission to Mars in the 2030s, Popular Mechanics reports. Hmm. The Deep Space Gateway will reportedly host a lander that can shuttle cosmonauts from the main habitat to the surface of the moon. While NASA will lead the project, Russia would, be in, uh, would in particular contribute its expertise in lunar landers to the collaboration. Now Russia, Russia wanted to go in alone with this, just you know, just do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's too expensive. They need well, help. Well, but that and they get to call it Deep Space Gateway, which is really close to Deep Space Nine, which I know. is a Star Trek show. Why don't they make it Deep Space Ten? Why not? Mm. Hold on. And honestly,
2: that doesn't seem like deep space.
4: It's as deep as we're gonna get.
2: Basically. Maybe they but. ought to just call it deeper space. It's deeper than we've been normally. Deepest? For... Mm. That's Al- the that's the sequel. Almost deep. Space Gateway
4: system, not bad. Just say not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Deep throat Gateway, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> yeah.
2: Not
4: so yeah, well, they're going to cause a uh, have a lunar habitat, and they're going to use it as a launching point, testing new equipment. I think it's and, cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And then the idea is to bounce from there to Mars. But it seems like this means that our administration will be talking more and more to Russia through official channels, right? Not where. Like uh, what Jared Kushner had to, I think, redo his federal uh, what security clearance paperwork yeah. three or four times because he kept going, oh, wait a second. There was oh, this other meeting I had. There's this other guy with a funny and name. And did you see yesterday they looked into his voting registration in New York and he's registered as a woman? Because he just can't seem to get oh. this paperwork thing right. Come on, guys. Jared how Kushner. many How many meetings have you
5: been to that you've already forgotten about or would like to forget about?
4: Oh, all of them. Like the one where they were you know purposely trying to bring in uh, information about Hillary Clinton, yeah, that one that one you just kind of forget about that one he he, he
2: has a hard time with paperwork,
4: yeah, the paperwork issue you might but I mean you know it, it says gender, and you go to oh, it's a male or female i can't I yeah. can't remember that one, and then Honey? he guessed Do you think he guessed? No, he called home okay.
2: Ivanka, <laughs> is that her name? Ivanka? Yeah I've got a question. <laughs> um, hey. Okay. So, in my scary news file, so imagine you are just you're just an average Joe, right? Just a normal guy. You get on your airplane. You're going to Vegas. You know, happen. I this. Yeah. I have, I hypothesize about this all you're, the time. Um, and you are. Um. You're in Vegas, you're you you're you get to Vegas, you go pick up on your way in, you're driving into the city from the airport and you're like, "Hey, I I I wanted I'm going to go get a soda and a Slim Jim." And you walk into uh the 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 store and standing right there is O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson is likely to be released shortly after, according to uh, his friend Tom Scotto, said that Simpson is scheduled to be released shortly after October 1st.
4: Possibly on Monday.
2: Just in time for Halloween. They're not telling, no one's saying when he'll be released, but 70-year-old O.J. Simpson will be out, and he'll be released from a facility near Vegas. And so can you imagine, you look over, and there's O.J. I mean, it's not like he's going to hurt you. But it would be startling like you realize if you say the juice
5: three times, then, uh, you know, this demon will appear. Really? And he'll help you uh, get rid of the people
2: that are in your home that are haunting it. Um, And then just to further the story, because I like stories, then um, a white blazer pulls up out front. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's his name? Cowlings is driving and picks up OJ. A.C. A.C. Cowling. Is that his name? And then they go for a little drive. That's scary. Don't say the juice three times, please. The juice three times, please. The juice three times, please. The juice three times. No, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Okay. You ne- You
5: didn't finish it. I, so. know I didn't.
2: I didn't. Hey, we've got a great uh, guest coming up. And this is going to be kind of a mind bender. Well, where's McKenna Bows? She's not in the house. Okay. But um, what if I told you they did a study on teaching social skills to kids and, and, and the whole goal was taking young children that might be in jeopardy of, you know, eventually not finishing school, taking a, a kids that maybe whose parents are separated or divorced or who aren't living in ideal conditions. And they, they did a test over time, a longitudinal study to see what happens if we teach them social skills, communication skills. And actually train them up to be really good, uh, socially skilled kids. I don't see a downside to that. Not a downside at all. What if you found out, though, by doing the training with these kids, it increased their likelihood of voting by about 6 percent? Really? They were more community-oriented and more socially – more community-active. So they're more likely to vote. That's fantastic. So if you want to get more kids to vote, what if the answer was just teach them social skills? It's great. Then we got to get on it. Let's get our kids socializing. So we'll be talking about that uh, coming up with one of our guests, a a professor from Brigham Young University. We'll talk about his research, how he literally has been able to show um, that uh, they can increase your kids' voter turnout. Now,
5: can this ensure that they vote for the right person? No. No.
2: no. But you would think with some social skills that might help. (laughs) Maybe they'd be able to discern the healthier socializing humans, the ones maybe they'll have a better empathy toward others. Maybe they'll have a better uh, openness toward um, you know the needs of the world and the community. They'll be more informed. They'll be more informed, and they'll be more compassionate, more empathic. So we'll be getting to that uh, research up next. Uh, how? About, by the way, an accidental finding that wasn't what they were even looking for at all, but they found out over time. Good social skills actually increases the likelihood of voter turnout, which is important because the United States we don't have a I mean, we have a we have about fifty five percent of the country that votes. That's really sad. It's one of the lowest uh, voting voter turnouts in the Western world. It's so crazy when you have
5: women and blacks that fought so hard for the right to vote, yep. and
2: now only half of us are voting. And now only half of us are voting. And interestingly, by the way, so half of those are women. <laughs> Right. So 50 percent or probably more. Well, I bet their voter records might even be higher. But in France, it's 68 percent roughly of the people vote, which is is, that isn't even great. We should have 90 percent turnout. Yes. That we don't
5: see instead of focusing on forcing NFL players to stand for the national anthem. Why don't they just force people to vote? Well, then then that
2: that wouldn't be a democracy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah, you just can't force people really to do anything. You'll learn that as your kids get older. That's true. I cannot force my kids to eat their dinner. No. Oh, it gets worse. You can't force them to get home on time, to turn their phone off. We tried to force our kids to go to a really great play last night, and almost all of them went. Really? Except one of them didn't. What was the excuse of the one that didn't go? Uh, He just had stuff.
5: Well, stuff always gets in the way. Yeah. Stuff Stuff comes up, Matt.
2: Oh, yeah. Stuff. There's nothing you can do about it. What do you do? You stuff it. That's all you can do. Up next, we'll be talking about uh, kids, social skills, and voter turnout. Interesting correlation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Did you know that the United States trails far behind many democracies in voter turnout? In 2016, the U.S. saw a 55.7 percent voter turnout, while in France, just to give you another example, they saw about a 67.9 percent voter turnout for its presidential election. But uh, new evidence suggests a surprisingly effective way to address the problem. When children develop certain social skills, they're more likely to vote when they're older. And here to talk to us about it is uh, Professor John Holbein, who is a a professor of political science at Brigham Young University. And uh, he's here today to talk to us about a 20-year-old study, which um, has actually been gleaning some really interesting data, not even intended. That's
3: right. Originally. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this study was originally intended as a primarily a crime reduction strategy. Uh, So it started when kids were just ending kindergarten. The idea was to teach them these social skills, these abilities to regulate their emotions, to work well with other people. The idea was that this would hopefully have payoffs in school and
2: then later on in in life as well. How cool. And the um, because when you think about it, that makes sense, right? So if kids could socialize better – Uh, know how to respond better, care more, be more empathic, Uh, I mean maybe be integrated more, be able to get into social systems better, that would help.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, kids are not really um, all born with these abilities. Right? right. So a lot of kids are just don't have the capacity to work yeah. well with other people born with them. Right. These are the types of things that we hope develop in schools and churches and communities. But it does it's not by no means given that kids would develop these skills.
2: What was the intervention that they used? the social skills intervention.
3: Yeah, so it was a multifaceted intervention. It, it was involving um, primarily things that were happening in schools, but there were also some components that were involved in the home. So the idea was that um, professionals would go in and mentor these students, would teach them um, when they were in scenarios that were uh, they were sort of getting emotional and getting riled up and not controlling their thoughts and emotions and their behaviors to sort of calm down, to slow down, to be intentional and in, in thinking about their own behaviors. Interesting. And in that process... They were able to develop these skills over time, and so the study really followed these kids for 20 plus years and continually measured using, you know, psychologically validated measures of empathy and social skills and delayed gratification. And consistently, these kids who were assigned
2: to the treatment group were performing at a higher level than the kids in the control group. How awesome is that? I mean, yeah. by the way, why? And we—I don't know that we've ever. I've never even heard of that study, right? Let alone your twist on it. I mean, you're a political science professor. That's right. You're not a sociologist necessarily. You're not into – you're a political scientist. So did you then just go take the data set, the longitudinal data – and evaluate it for this voter uh, registration thing? Yeah. So the unique part about this program is that they followed kids for 20 plus years, yeah.
3: right? There's not a lot of studies that do this, following them from kindergarten into you know early adulthood. And so I said, I went to the principal investigator, Ken Dodge, who's a child psychologist, and said, I'm a political scientist. I think there's potential for some collaboration here. So uh, what we did was we went and searched for these uh, uh, children who are now adults in voter records, matched uh-huh. them up, and then we're able to see uh, with their validated votes Uh, which uh, either the treatment or the control group was voting at a higher rate. And it turns out the kids who were exposed to this program starting in kindergarten actually voted 20 years later at higher rates than those in the control group. And how much higher? So it was about um, – across both arms, it was about a 7 to 9 percentage point increase. So you were talking earlier about you know this 10 to 12 yeah. percentage point gap between the United States and France. So it doesn't completely close that
2: gap, but it's a pretty sizable chunk. Well, and that was all unintended data. That's right. What would happen if you actually focused the intervention to increase voter turnout? Like, yeah. So added some civics lessons to it. That's or- right something yeah, else. That's
3: exactly the way we're hoping to take this in the future. You know, the thought is that civics classes right now, what's the status quo, right? We yeah. sit down, we hear about presidents, we hear right. about politics, lots of regurgitation just lots of facts history, that we yeah. can fill in on a bubble sheet, right? yeah. I think the uh, more interesting path forward is a civics curriculum that gets kids involved and engaged doing real-world civic problems and uh, engaging in, oh, in, in in the real world. And there's actually been a few studies that have shown that when you do this kind of like interactive learning with kids in civics classrooms, it actually reinforces some of these social skills as well.
2: Now tell us, what do you think is it about social skills that would make them uh, have a higher turnout at the, at the voter booths. Why, yeah. would, that, Matt, why yeah. would that happen?
3: So I think it's two things, right? So um, in, in addition to being just more social and aware of sort of the problems in the world and what's going on around you, um, the, part of uh, these social and emotional skills has to deal with how you control yourself, how you um, follow through on your intentions, right? So there's this big hmm. gap in voting between people who say they want to vote and plan to vote. Yeah. It's about 80 to 90 percentage points of the United States. Um, but only 50 or 60% turn out, right? So uh, the idea is that these social and emotional skills can help people follow through on their good intentions, right? Like voting is not so different from exercising or studying, right? We want to do these good things. But then when it gets tough, you know, the car breaks down, the kids are sick, right? It's hard to show up and follow through and vote. And those people who have these um, abilities to control their emotions and behaviors and to follow through on their intentions are more likely to show up and vote.
2: I mean, we kind of, we've heard of the marshmallow study. Right, And so if you can delay your gratification, it, it'll set you up long term in, in a variety of ways. Um, but boy, th- this makes it even more of a th- – because this does give you something to do. This You can vote or you can just sit and complain or go fight everybody. But at <laughs> some right. point, you can just – you can make a decision and go – do something about it.
3: Yeah, we've known for a long time that these things are important, right? You mentioned the marshmallow study, yeah. right? There's been some, you know, intuition, I think, in the in the public that um, there's a lot of, you know, people are complex. The things that, uh, the abilities that they have can't be captured by just a bubble sheet exam, right? right? We have these social and emotional skills that are important for how well we do in school, how well we do in the labor force, and it turns out voting as well, right? It empowers, um, in this case, young people who are quite disadvantaged uh, to vote at much higher rates than they would have
2: otherwise. I mean, that that especially. So disadvantaged you. I mean, you know, this is one thing coming from an advantaged community where, you know, they might have higher voter turnout anyway. Right. But to a disadvantaged community, the numbers are probably even more dramatic if you went specifically to the voter turnout in disadvantaged communities. That's right. You're talking
3: about thirty, twenty 20 to 30 percentage points Unbelievable. At tops in, in presidential yeah. elections yeah. when everyone's excited about That's what's right. going on. So what happens in local elections with those communities and what happens in midterm elections? Well, it's even lower. You know, it's in the single digits. Sure. Right. So that has a profound impact on the quality of democracy. And so I think this offers a promising way forward. You know,
2: is uh, it is it something that you because I mean that could be like politically ground-shaking to have um, a 10 a percent increase in voter turnout for disadvantaged youth that then turn into parents. That would probably impact those numbers dramatically and yet that, that could – that would also create a really powerful voice for a, a group of people that don't – That aren't heard.
3: Right. We hear lots of conversation in the last presidential election about, you know, the silent majority and individuals who whose voices aren't heard across both sides of the political spectrum. Right. Yeah. That's one of the principles of democracy is that everybody can has the opportunity to engage. Um, And yet we're not seeing that. Right. Right. We're we're falling short of the American dream to a certain extent. Now, I I mean, I will I will say that this was one study in one context. Right. right? Uh, I'm going to be a good social scientist here and say more studies are needed here before we know how big this would be if we took this to scale. But I do agree with you. I think this is promising, right? This is a lot better than um,
2: sort of the rote memorization that we're doing in civics classes uh, Totally. Right well, and yeah. you also – I mean because to that also doesn't seem to be engaging. It's, it's regurgitation. It's not – you're not engaging them in the process. I mean we have this entire week. All we've talked about is football players kneeling. And as many people are still wondering what exactly are they kneeling for, support for the NFL, support for the players or support for the, the African-American communities that are struggling with police. Um, but what's funny is that seems to me like the perfect civics class yeah. like, to have a discussion about – that would be much more valuable than half of what we're probably doing.
3: Let's have kids talk about these issues that are so salient and on the news and yeah. on Twitter and on you know, the social media. Let's have them then get out in the community and work with um, uh, organizations that are trying to reduce inequalities in society, right? Getting hands-on skills so and, and opportunities, it's, it's a much better approach for kids who are coming up through high school and maybe even a little bit earlier. Oh, right? yeah. So my study suggests that the things that are happening quite early in the life course, you know, childhood kindergarten. We're talking about 20 years, you know, 10, 20 years before people actually have the chance to vote, right? Mm. Those things are so important. So I think the two lessons are, you know,
2: start civics earlier yeah. and be a lot more engaging with kids. A lot more engaging. Let's continue the discussion. We'll take a break. And as we come back, we're going to be talking about what you can do as a parent, how parents can uh, can help their kids dig deeper, I think, into their own emotional capabilities, their social capabilities, and turn those skills into, you know, voter turnout and and political activism and even just engagement in our uh, community and political process. This is The Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking today about how to increase uh, voter, I guess, activity, voter registration by what you do today with your children and the power that has uh, to impact their lives down the road, especially teaching them some social skills, some uh, helping them incorporate the ability to, to slow down their decision making, make better decisions, uh, be more empathic, some social skills over time, they're finding out actually could increase voter turnout by 7 to 9%, according to our guest, uh, Dr. John Holbein, who's a researcher here at Brigham Young University. He's an assistant professor of political science. He studies political participation, political inequality, democratic accountability, and political representation. John, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. This is super – it's important because – The idea that all you do is – by teaching basic skills, you not – the coolest thing about the research that I didn't even know about was how it impacts kids' just success in life. I I mean social skills make it so you you don't just not get beat up. It (laughs) makes it so that you can actually – Succeed in life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, voter turnout is only one of the outcomes that uh, the, this study
3: has looked at, right? The, the, um, the, the fast track intervention that we've been talking about yeah. this whole time actually reduced crime rates by about 30 to 40 percent unbelievable it's incredible right yeah so well-being is multifaceted right we have multiple things that we want our kids to achieve in life we want them to do well in school do well in the labor force not commit crime vote and be engaged in their communities and that these social skills actually have payoffs in all of these different dimensions right
2: why are we okay so if we know this yeah why is this not like mandatory curriculum well, it's becoming increasingly more a part of schools' roles. I think
3: um, whereas maybe 10, 20 years ago, you wouldn't hear much conversation about social and emotional learning. Right. You'd hear all about No Child Left Behind, yeah. and test scores, and how the achievement gap is so important. And those things are important, yeah. not to minimize those at all. But we're increasingly seeing schools trying to um, teach kids these social and emotional skills to reinforce the things that parents are doing at home to try and
2: help them in multiple aspects of their life. That's cool. So what you basically were doing, let me make sure I understand this. You took a BYU family science professor and you um, you started drafting off of the back of his research and found a really cool turn here where if we teach these social skill interventions early, voter turnout goes higher – goes up with the children and you're saying you're, there's other places that are seeing similar – or or there's potential for other research using other researchers around the country. That's right.
3: Yeah. So this project started when I was a graduate student at Duke University. So they've been running this longitudinal study for over 20 years now. So I was able to piggyback on on some of the things that they've been doing, which is really fascinating. There's also some really fascinating work that's being done in Chicago right now to help uh, kids who are a little bit older, right? You might say, well, it's great if we can invest in kindergarteners. Yeah, what if it's too late? What if it's too late for all of these kids who are in high school and middle school already? And it turns out that it probably isn't too Late, right, it is still a possibility to teach these social skills when kids are a little bit older. Right, so that's the direction that I'm hoping to take. Yeah, up. one direction is to say, can we do this a little bit later? Could we incorporate
2: this into a high school civics class and would it have a similar effect? That's so awesome. And would you call it? Would it? Is the civics class the best? I mean, place for it, or should should social skills be inner? Uh, you know I- injected into every class yeah I think it's
3: both right I right? think it's definitely every class right instead of just doing uh, you know readings about you know various uh, literature in, in English class right, right? You, m- you might think about interacting in groups and thinking about building you know team-based learning type skills Huge. yeah these types of things that pay off across all dimensions so I think the ideal is not just in civics classrooms yeah. we don't want to p- Pour everything onto civics teachers right. and say it's all your fault. That's yeah. definitely the wrong message, right? But what we are talking about is a fundamental transformation of schools, and we're seeing this a little bit happen already in schools. And I think it's a really exciting and fascinating.
2: Do thing. you do you sense that? I mean, because civics is about our our diversity and our integration of ideas and figuring out how to create dialogues, which it seems like as a country we really struggle doing. And it's almost like we've left it up to talk radio to lead the discussion where if we could get kids civically engaged on issues in healthy dialogue, we could pump out some really healthy communicators and dialoguers. That's the democratic ideal. Yeah. Right. That's what our country
3: was built upon. Right. This discourse that was civil. Right. That people had opposing views and there's nothing wrong with that. And no one has to – Die. That's right. Yeah. Or no one has to spend all of their time fighting on social media. Right. That's right. right. So imagine, you know, th- this has potential payoffs in, in other dimensions as well. Not just whether you show up, but how you
2: participate, the quality of your participation. So true. John, what do you what advice do you give parents? Can can these same skills just be taught at home? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is to
3: not lose hope. Right. These are not. We know for sure that these are not things that you're just born with and they stay stable for the rest of your life. It's not like a gene. right? Yeah. Right. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is to start early. Right. While, while there is some research that says that you can sort of catch up if you start, you know, middle school and later, start early trying to engage yeah. these these skills. And then the last thing I would say is is, is these things are learned in small moments. Right. How to um, control one's emotions and, and and behavior is is learned step by step. So the, the, I take a lesson from uh, this fast-track program that we've been talking about. It really taught, taught kids to, number one, to take a deep breath when something hard was yeah. happening, to reflect and to... Um,
2: Come up uh, with like a real decision. Yeah, a right. Good to really
3: say what they were experiencing, mm. to make a choice that's positive and move forward, and then to step back and evaluate that afterwards. So parents can encourage this type of behavior as well. So we think about how parents sit with children and help them learn how to read. Right. You could think of a parent sitting down with a child... Who who's having a hard time or who is, is facing some sort of opposition and helping them walk through this process mm. of coming to a productive solution.
2: That's really powerful. And um, too, just parenting, uh, the social skills is one thing, too. But is, is there data that shows how parents vote and how active, civically active they are is it will impact how their kids are civically active? Definitely. So these things are socialized from early on. Yeah. Yeah. That's great news. If I mean it's one thing to sit and complain and it seems like in today's society everybody has an opinion and everybody knows they're right that they have the right to express it but there's more about expression like activity and doing stuff and I mean, and again, it's, it's easy on Facebook to just like somebody's comment right. and you think you're now, you know, civically active, right? Yeah. But it's another thing to get out and vote.
3: Yeah. And even more so to be involved in your community and to go to community meetings. I mean, you go to school board meetings and it's just kind of depressing. The, yeah, a no, few I'm, people who show yeah. up to, you know, get their hands dirty and be involved in, in some of these forms of participation that take more time uh-huh. and energy, yeah. right? But that's where we need it, right? That's. And
2: it also seems like, it, you know, sometimes those aren't the people that represent you anyway. The extremes will show up right that's right the average don't right you know that's right yeah so there's this big gap in uh, participation in
3: america more generally uh, across not just the voting booth but also in other forms of volunteering
2: or uh, reaching out to elected officials so elected officials only hear one type of voice right so true do you do you see a difference in the world of politics um, and and how we talk about it with social media is it do you sense social media is helping our political process or hurting it as a political expert? Oh,
3: it's hard to say, right? It's it's pushing in two directions at the same time. So it's hard to know. At certain times, I feel like one side is winning more than the other. Of course, it's giving us lots of information and giving us tools to very easily know where to turn out and vote, for yeah. example, right? But then it's also giving us a forum for, uh, you know, reinforcing sort of bad behavior, right? Um, so I don't, I don't think there, there, there have been studies out there that, that suggest that, that this bad behavior is by no means um, uh, a guaranteed end result, right? Yeah. There are ways to sort of structure online discourse to make it a little bit more civil, right. right? But there is definitely this tension pushing in both directions. We have access to more information readily at our fingertips, but also for people to sort of silo themselves into communities that just agree with the middle
2: times. Yeah. and the, Yeah, and we just sit there in those echo chambers and... Right. Everybody loves each other. Yeah. And then we turn outward and we can't relate. We don't know how to handle each other. Right. And that skews your whole
3: view about how society works, how your attitudes about um, politics are,
2: and your levels of engagement, too. Totally. John Holbein's is his name. He's a professor here at Brigham Young University. Thanks, John, for being with us. Thanks for having me. And giving us this great insight. It's amazing, folks. Uh, Social skills, emotional skills, emotional management skills, emotional intelligence skills. They make a difference, and uh, who would have thunk that? The, who would have thought it? You know, they make a difference in your voting later in life. Powerful insights. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
7: you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner
2: lay ball lay ball welcome back friends you know um we've been talking about it for years 20 plus years we've known that it's not your iq that determines your happiness it's your it's your emotional intelligence your ability to do five basic things um are really what will set you up to live healthier, happier lives to have uh to really have more of the life you want to have stronger relationships to have better education to make more money um, five basic skills that are all related to emotional intelligence and here they are first, you have to be able to be aware and recognize your own emotion right you've got to learn what you're feeling. And recognize the emotion in you, number one. Number two, you have to be able to actually lower your emotion. That is a skill. That is a part of an emotional intelligence skill set is that you have the ability to actually take your negative emotions and lower them to bring them down. The third skill of emotional intelligence is recognizing the emotion in others and seeing that emotion, right? The fourth skill would be then lowering those emotions, taking their negative emotion, and do you have the gift and the skill to help lower other people's emotions? Which is, if you think about it, that's a step up, right? And then the last is um, the ability to enroll other people into what you're feeling, into your emotion. So those are very basic skills, seeing your own, lowering your own, seeing it in others, lowering it in others, and enrolling people into the emotion. And if we can do that, guess what we've got? We've got Emotional intelligence, and when you've got it, you have the ability to share it and to lift the world and to impact the world. So make sure you're teaching your children how to do that, and more importantly, make sure you know how to do those five things because when we do, apparently, it lifts, it lifts the rest of us. Um, now, we have a, a wonderful uh, – Piece coming up about one of from Leanna Tan. She always does these tangents for us on the show. We call them tangents, and uh, this is a really interesting one. The global refugee crisis has really spiked in the last couple of years. It's still a really hot topic, especially with some of Trump's administrative decisions. But did you know that you and the UN uh, organization says that there's 22.5 million refugees worldwide? So where are all these people staying? And if they're not in their homes anymore. Well, it's a continuation of uh, Leanna Tan's uh, summer uh, vacation, really, that turned into more of a service project. Here's Leanna Tan talking about her firsthand experience living in a refugee camp.
8: This July, I had one of the most incredible and challenging experiences of my life. I spent a month on an unfamiliar island off Greece working in a refugee camp. I'd always wanted to go to Greece, and I am passionate about working with refugees. But I had no idea what to expect. Greece was absolutely gorgeous. The ancient ruins, the sunsets on the Mediterranean Sea, the people playing instruments on the cobblestone streets. And I learned a lot of stuff while I was there. Like, you can treat lice with olive oil. Kids will climb fences even if there's barbed wire at the top. And wetting a t-shirt and tying it over your face helps protect you from tear gas. But there are a lot of deeper things I came away with after being in that camp for four weeks. So here are five things I learned in a refugee camp. Number one, everyone has the same basic needs. Every day, I dealt with people who had come across the ocean on boats with often nothing more than the clothes on their backs. And every day, I had to try to find resources for these people or find some way to satisfy their needs. And I realized that when you have nothing, you realize what the fundamental things are that you need to survive. It doesn't matter what country you come from or what language you speak. Everyone needs food. Everyone needs clothes. And everyone needs something to lie their head on and protect them from the scorching heat and pouring rain. We often take these things for granted because they're not luxuries. They're necessities. And no one should be denied the necessities of life. Number two, autonomy is everything. Maybe this is the fundamental of the fundamentals. Because people would trade their food or skip out on taking a bed just to have autonomy. These people fled their countries and risked their lives to have autonomy. The conditions we were working in were so packed that there never seemed to be enough room to fit the number of families that were flooding in. We sometimes had three people to a bed or six people sharing a couple blankets on the floor. But the first thing that every family would do was hang up blankets or whatever they had to distinguish where their family's area was. No one wanted to be treated as one of the masses or as a number or just a label. Some got offended if the volunteers didn't eat the food they offered because it was refugee food. And one man refused his bed when I asked to see his registration number because they weren't just refugees and they don't just want to be numbers. They are people, like any of us, who had typical jobs and lives and families, but whose circumstances caused them to flee those lives. Number three, working with others is key. There were so many different organizations and various people there who all had a different idea of how to run the camp and how to help the people. And it really didn't help us move anything forward because it was just a massive confusion. And sometimes it seemed that it was just which humanitarian or government group could be the loudest or get things done first. But the times when I was able to directly talk with other groups and listen to their ideas and incorporate my own, I felt like we were actually able to help and come up with solutions. But I also learned that there's no panacea to the crisis that's going on right now. Every solution you try will be accompanied with its own set of problems, and you'll never be able to fix everything. I definitely learned the importance of saying no and not just giving out all your resources because you have them or trying to find a solution to every single little problem that pops up during the day. Because that only leads to more chaos, more confusion, more competition, and more exhaustion. Number four, treasure the moments. You never know when or if you'll see someone again. So treasure each moment with them. This happened a lot in the camp. I'd be playing and laughing with the kids one day, and then the next, without me knowing, they'd be transported out of the camp or sometimes even deported back to their country. Everything there was so fleeting, so I definitely learned to cherish every time I got one of the kids or parents to smile. And number five, home is where your heart is. I think this is the biggest takeaway I got from this summer. I was traveling all over the place to so many places that I had always dreamed of going and hoping to find a place that felt just right for my future. But nothing ever seemed like a perfect fit. And then I saw those refugees who'd left their countries and the physical structures of their homes, but who had created homes wherever they landed. They found ways to cook and clean and sometimes decorate wherever they were. And even though they had lost everything... I saw them preserving family dinner time on their thin blankets on the floor or in their cramped tents. I guess home isn't about where you are, but what you make of it. So Reese ended up being a lot more than just visiting the Parthenon and eating baklava and crepes on the seat. I learned a lot and met so many people from so many different places around the world. And although I didn't speak any of their languages, I learned that smiling and serving and listening communicates so much more than words. So... Remember to see people for who they are, and that love is a universal language. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
0: This is the Matt Townsend
1: Show. Your guide on the side.
8: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. And uh, boy, oh boy, good news. A, a, a little tiny ray of hope for Puerto, Puerto Rico. It's happening. They've gotten rid of the Jones Act. Nice. At least for now. Yay. So now these ships can, can bring their goods ashore without the tax issues, except... Hmm? Once the stuff gets ashore, oh, they it can't, can't go it. anywhere they because they don't have trucks, they don't have roads. Nah. Drivers. They need, what they need are a bunch of helicopters. Let's just get them down there.
4: They have, there's, lot, I mean, that's how they're delivering a lot of the supplies now is by helicopter drops. They just yeah. fly over and drop. Would well,
2: you remember during the war when they would drop and end up killing people on the ground? Well, by, they're trying they're to do how that, how that a little, little safer now.
4: But yeah. yeah. So that's really how a lot of the, the supplies are getting in now because the roads are impassable. But, uh, yeah, hopefully this helps. There's a flotilla, they keep calling it. I love a good flotilla. A bunch of barges and boats that are making their way there, yeah. but that'll take a couple days. As, it, as, as, pre- as the president it. pointed out, it's a big ocean. You just can't drive your trucks to Puerto Rico.
5: That is a great point, and it's a fact. <laughs> it is a big ocean. He, po-
4: he points that out in a meeting, looks to the guy that, to next to him, and, like, you know how you look for, like, support and agreement from somebody when you're yeah. making a point? And you kind of tap him on yeah. the shoulder, and the guy looks at him like... Yeah, it's an ocean. It's an yes, island. sir. It is a big ocean. <laughs> I beg to differ. This
8: is
2: a big world. The funny thing is it's not as big of an ocean between the United States and Puerto Rico. It's a huge ocean. Well no, he's talking about like
4: the entire Atlantic Ocean. It's huge.
2: Yeah, it's it is huge. Yeah, we, we it's don't a big need, ocean. we actually don't need to navigate the entire ocean.
4: Well, yeah, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's a big ocean.
5: This ocean is the biggest ocean in the history of the world. <laughs> Have I told you how question. Big, there's
4: the Pacific. It's probably bigger. <laughs> Have I but told it's you how big Details. the sky is?
2: The sky is huge.
4: He does <laughs> huge. seem to latch on to, like, commonly known facts and yeah. act like they're brand new information. <laughs> Hey, this just in. You can also tell some of his speeches, it's like the first time he's read them, which he's like, hey, look yeah. at that.
2: That was pretty good. It seems like maybe a better option would be, um, because like we're saying, you, can't, you can get the flotilla to Puerto Rico, but you can't get the, the food into the island. Right. You maybe can't get it into the problem, yeah. cities. So it seems like instead of clearing every road, which has got to be done, I guess, eventually, hmm. why don't we clear every airport? Okay. And why don't we send the flotilla to, off, to offload and then we just put them on planes and fly in all this stuff. Wow, look at that. I mean, I'm not the president.
4: Or a logistics no. expert. But, you know, could happen. But it
2: just seems like – or you can just go have a bunch of boats out there waiting for the lack of trucks and truck drivers and roads so you'll just sit and wait.
9: We got a bunch of real dummies.
2: <laughs> Meanwhile, you're going to have, eventually, Puerto Ricans are going to start swimming to the flotilla, right? And meet them halfway, because you got to eat. They need food. They need shelter.
4: They need. Don't forget the U.S. Virgin Islands. They're a protectorate, oh, yeah. also. Man, and they're just they they were they, they said they were, what Irma was it Irma that came through, and then Maria is that how it worked? Yeah. So Irma yeah. came through and like leveled the place, and then Maria came through and flooded the place. Yeah. And that's where they're at. They have nothing, and it's all wet. Aren't you
2: glad, though, that hurricanes titled J, K, and L, they didn't show up? Hmm. hmm. Because Irma, and then Maria. So J, K, and L must have just petered out.
4: What about Jose? See, Jose kind of spun out. Spun really out. didn't.
2: You know what? Jose hmm. just spun out. You know, that's how that's he hit a couple islands, Dominican. Are. But
4: Irma did yeah.
2: damage. Maria did damage. The you know the guys just spun out what my mom used to say
4: can't count on a guy
2: um we uh anyway we, our prayers go out again to puerto rico i wish we could do more um i just gave my advice fly stuff in did your part good job
4: but again just just to circumvent the issue of the big ocean and it came down to a a law from 1920 that they're it's almost like they're trying to say hey this law was why this why the response was slow uh, yeah not that we just sort of forgot that it's it almost feels like someone had to inform whoever was in charge that Puerto Rico they're citizens right and it's not like it's something that some because some of the islands are dutch protectorates or france involved right. like okay they'll they'll take care of those and they maybe did they think that Puerto Rico was i don't know but Pur- Puerto Rico has
2: representatives in yeah. congress
4: so but they, like
2: president trump pointed out they are behind on taxes <laughs> I think it was also a law back then that
5: if your date for the town ball dropped out on you, you had to take your pig. Oh,
4: oh. that's not yeah. good.
2: So it's a little outdated. Um, let's get to the rest of the headlines uh, for other outdated laws with Terry South. Terry, what's going on?
4: Yeah, tax reform. President Trump launched his uh, push for tax reform Wednesday in Indianapolis promising a once in a generation opportunity and revolutionary change, under the framework we will dramatically cut the business tax rate so that American companies and American workers can beat our foreign competitors and start winning again.
5: Yes. Yay, I, so that we've been winning
4: this whole time. The, well, no. He says you're going to get tired of the winning.
2: Yeah, remember, he, he said we weren't winning enough. We were going to get tired of it, and apparently we're, we're about ready to start winning
4: again. So the New York Times reports the proposed framework reduces the corporate tax rate to 20% and doubles deductions for married and single filers from 24000 and 12000 respectively, and reduces the number of tax brackets from 7 to 3. Now, with the business, Trump wanted it to 15, I think. Yeah, 15%. Yeah. He wanted to drop mm. it to 15, but the people that put the bill together left it at 20. Now, what Trump wants to do is the art of the deal is you go for the hard sell. So he wanted to say 10. 10. And then they could back up to yeah. 15 where yeah. he wanted it. See, so yeah. apparently yesterday, before he was going out, or was, it was Tuesday, before uh, because he gave the uh, announcement of the tax plan on Wednesday. On Tuesday, he was in the White House. Lots of concerns from the president about the fact that the the plan isn't what he said it was supposed to be, and you guys did something different, and so they're worried that he was even going to present it on Wednesday. Oh, wow. So the fact that it happened yesterday apparently relieved a lot of stress in the White House. That's a big deal.
2: But where is this going to bring—remember the big discussion was Apple, all these companies, have offshore money that they're not bringing back to the United States. Yes. So is this going to address any of that, or is that corporate tax?
4: Well, no, because the the corporate tax rate, uh, he wants to drop it to 20%. Yeah, that's that's what he's trying to get. So he wants that. But he wanted it actually at 15. But his people wrote the bill for 20. So he's like, this isn't what I wanted. And they're like, what's going to work? It seems like the first
2: thing they're going to do when the money gets here is then pay dividends, which will just, all the rich will have more money, and then... They're going to have a lower tax rate anyway.
4: You're wrong. Yeah. Okay. It's the way it looks. Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at it in a I negative way. Yeah, light. if you want to be negative toward the rich. I, I, if you go with Trump, he says it presents the biggest tax cut in history. There's never been tax cuts like this that we're talking about. He's promising middle class Huge. will be the biggest winners of this tax plan. But it's funny. That makes sense, but we never mentioned the middle
2: class in the tax cut. That's right. We mentioned... The, up, or the rich and the poor, but we never... But it seems it, like to make it the best tax cut for the middle class, the middle class tax cut would need to be dramatic. They're doubling deductions, though.
4: Right. Yeah, so you get your savings there. <laughs> no, so we're still
2: paying the taxes, well, but yeah, we'll, we'll but, get it back. Yeah, it, it's Why fine. Why don't you just cut them for us? Has
5: any figured out by now that by prefacing things with this is going to be the biggest or this is going to be the best... Is, he's setting people up for disappointment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trust Imagine me. if they, Trust if, me. if BYU Radio said, this is going to be the best meeting you've ever been
2: to. Oh, well, that's what we say. I've heard that before. And by the way, they are great <laughs> meetings. They're great meetings. They're well-scheduled, yes. I've had more great meetings here than any other company. Alternative facts.
4: In other news, falsified news stories on social media sites like Twitter flooded U.S. swing states, ultimately won by President Trump. Including Pennsylvania, Florida, and Michigan, in the days leading up to the election day last year, according to a study published by Oxford University on Thursday. In the hard fought battleground states, the links in many cases emanated from Russian sources and WikiLeaks, the study showed. Many people use these platforms to find news and information that shape their political identities and voting behavior, said the lead researcher from uh, Oxford's Computational Propaganda Project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know the Russians have invested in social media. She said swing states would be the ones you would want to target. They're saying they targeted individual counties. And oh. the question is, how do they know that those counties were vulnerable and they would get the most bang for their buck by targeting that individual county that just happened to go for President Trump? Mm, how did they know? That's what's being investigated. Well, so. but I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. There's all kinds of speculation, (laughs) but people don't know. Uh, Other news, California Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill Wednesday moving the state's primary elections from June to March in an attempt to get presidential candidates to spend time campaigning in the state. Mm. Because by June, it's over. Yeah, that's smart. Right? So all these smaller states have have basically decided who the presidential candidate's going to be. By the time they get to California, you're just kind of doing a victory lap. But California has bunch of electoral, you know, electoral yeah, but, votes,
2: but it's pretty much blue.
4: Not all. And, and but when you're looking at the primaries, it's Republican primary or Democratic oh, primary. Right? You're going yeah. for the primary vote. So you drop it in California early. Yeah. All those votes, there's Hundreds of them versus you know like an Iowa right. that has six or something, and so they they oh, have
2: that, they, there's those are fighting
4: right. terms.
2: These states fight over the order of they these do, things.
4: and so that's why there's constant shifting. Who's going to be the earliest? And there's some yeah. people that there's I can't remember. It's probably Iowa that has the state that has a, a a state law saying they're going to be the first one, or you know it's that kind of thing where so they'll yeah, just keep pushing earlier yeah. and earlier. And finally, yes, we came in on Monday. NFL protests. Right, right. NFL returns tonight. It's Thursday. This conversation is going to return tonight. The Chicago Bears take on the Packers, so it's actually a pretty good game. Yeah, that'll be a good Unlike game. Unlike the previous weeks where it's like, and seriously? Hey, they're sister cities, right? The, I mean, they're neighbors. They're neighbors. They really don't they, like each other football-wise. Yeah. uh yeah. In a statement released Tuesday night, the players and coaches from the Green Bay Packers uh, said the coaches and players and staff will join them. Arms intertwined, representing to represent a coming together for people who want freedom, equality, tolerance, understanding, and justice for those who have been unjustly treated, discriminated, and otherwise treated unfairly. Those of us joining arms on Thursday will be different in so many ways, but one thing that will bind us together is that we're all individuals who want to help make our society and our country and our world a better place. We believe that that in diversity there can be university... That's, what? That's, yeah, yeah. Intertwined, we represent the many people who helped build this country, and we are joining together to show that we are ready to continue to build. Let's work together and build a society that's more fair and just. That's from the Packers. Wow. So they're pre-posting, they're preparing everybody by sending out some press. Yes. About what they This is what we're do. doing. Mm-hmm. We invite the entire st- the stadium. To, to, to do likewise to but not to kneel no but to stand, stand link arms link arms unity
2: and then UNITY I, I heard there might be a song that they'll sing I think what song you haven't heard this the greatest gift of all. Mm, I have and here's uh, the quarterback is this
4: is Kenny Rogers this is Kenny Rogers <laughs> look who's singing Oh, no, it isn't. It It was Kenny. Oh, was it Kenny?
5: I want to add that uh, you knew his voice before I even turned the computer monitor around. Yeah. There's Billy Joel.
2: Billy Joel. They're all going to be involved.
4: Really? They're all out there? Tina Turner. The whole cast of Weeders. Michael Jackson. There's Michael Jackson. From 1984.
2: And then everyone will link arms, and the entire stadium will Will we do Hands Across
4: America next? Will we bring that back? Uh I remember in elementary school, standing out and linking hands and i'm like how is this across america yeah. we're on our playground everyone's on the freeway ha- Do
2: you know what's going to happen to the ratings with this it's going to be huge
4: is it really it'll be huge will the nfl network actually have an audience for yes. a game wow. tonight
2: they'll have a huge audience because everybody loves we are the world
5: did you notice that michael jackson was not in the same room
2: as everybody else no that well, was one
5: of his demands i think
2: well yeah because you know cold season now, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, the All Pro. Uh, by the way, son of Kenny Rodgers,
5: all who world, is not singing. True, we are the not world. true,
4: not true, same name, different, different. You know, mother from a different brother from a brother different from mother. A different mother. This <laughs> is <laughs> the Kenny.
5: <laughs> this is the chicken guy, though, right? Oh. Yeah, Kenny yeah. Rogers, uh,
4: so, great chicken. So, Aaron Rodgers, speaking before the player statement was released, said that the Packers are doing what they're doing is not a protest. Not a protest. He goes, this is about equality. This is about unity and love and growing together as a society and starting a conversation around something that may be a little bit uncomfortable for people. But we got to come together and talk about these things. Yeah. And uh, grow as a community, as a connected group of individuals in our society. And we are going to continue to show love and unity. And this week, we are going to ask the fans to join us, uh, join in as well. Come together and show the people that we can be connected and we can grow together. A lot of repeated yeah. You know, sentiments there, but you get the idea. It's, and it's beautiful. Your
2: your rich, deep voice. You like that? With this music, yeah. reading that statement. What can I say? And then there's the moment where a bear has to turn to a cheesehead and link arms.
4: Well, it's in Green Bay, I believe. I know, but there'll still be some bear fans. So, yeah, there's bears but.
2: You know. duck bears. And so it's like, give me your arm, bro. There's not a
4: lot of traveling fans in the NFL. There's a few. No, in this area, sort of like there college. are. We'll see. Cheeseheads, but it's it's cold. It's like June in, in Green know. Bay, and it's twenty degrees. But well, not true. Bear but you know fans,
2: I mean. they love their bears. It's awesome. I think that's that's totally moving.
4: So we'll see. Yeah, no, I, I think we'll b- see what happens. We'll see what the response is tomorrow, and certain groups' hairs on fire because <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, you know what? It c- it could be worse. It could. That's very true. Yeah, well, you could say that in literally every situation in life. It could be worse. It totally. Could even
2: when work. it's pretty bad. By the way, I love the idea how proactive they're being, and they're actually getting it out there. So actually, what I love too is we know what this protest is about, like because it's there now specifically yeah. been delineated. They've defined it. It's not even a protest. It's, not a, a protest. it's a unification yeah. of humanity toward love, peace, and honor of all man mm. kind.
4: Connected. Yeah. Connectability. It's too long.
2: And then there's the guy yeah. on the sideline with the crutch. There's always the guy on the NFL sidelines with the crutches. They, and he he said right. he's. I heard him interviewed. He said, "God bless us, everyone."
4: <laughs> His name wasn't was Tim. that Tiny Tim, Tim. Tim.
2: Tebow. Yeah, <laughs>
4: Tiny Tim Tebow. God there, bless there us, everyone. Three, there were three members of the Packers that sat on the bench oh. during the national anthem last week. Are they going to be standing? That's what they're. Apparently that's what they're they saying.
2: Are. That's actually really powerful. Yeah. Because we can protest and we can stand together. Uh, love it. Uh, that makes you feel good. Does it? It does. Just open that. Will you watch?
4: Yeah. Are you? Is that well, enough it, to get you to turn on a game?
2: Yeah. Today I think I'm putting together a bed. Okay. So I'm probably going to watch, but I can't put... Last time I put the bed together in front of the TV, and then I realized that I had to take it apart to get it in the room. Yeah, I hate that. So... I'll probably watch some form of the NFL. Okay, I think bed is code word for bet. No, no, no. We're not really supposed to bet here. No, it's a bed. It's a bed. So putting together a bed. Let's get to the empty news now um, with uh, our empty news uh, staff. What do we call it? Our, Our anchor, Jeff Simpson on the empty news.
5: The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. So how's this for a coincidence? Uh police say a man with a knife tried to rob a Southern California pizza restaurant oh. just a few hours after burglars had already stolen from it. What? So he's uh, he's just a little too late. Uh, missed it by that much. We gave it the office. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Covina Police Lieutenant Trevor Gommer reports that burglars broke into Pizza Chalet on Tuesday and made off with $1,500. Yeah. As the owner was cleaning up after the burglary, less than three hours later, the knife-wielding man walked in and demanded money. <laughs> the owner flagged down an officer providing extra patrol help. Gommer says the suspect, 19-year-old Ernest Ramirez, didn't listen to the officer's order to give himself up and fought with arriving officers briefly until he was subdued. Ugh. I think he mostly just wanted to eat as much pizza as he could. Yeah. So he was holding off the cops.
2: Can you imagine how frustrated you'd be? You've already lost $1,500 and had to clean up the mess from that. And then some dude walks in and is like, give me all your money. Oh, I thought you
5: meant how frustrating it is from the perspective of the robber. No. Like, oh, I've been planning this for months. This actually reminds me of a clip from a Woody Allen film in which he and another gang uh, show up at a bank at the same time <laughs> to rob a bank.
4: Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, we're holding up the bank.
7: We're holding up the bank. Oh, no, no, no. We, we were here first. All right, we'll take a vote.
5: Uh,
0: How many people here would like to be held up by this group? Now, how many people would like to be held up by our group? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah. And you can't even win the hold-up vote. So, here's another robbery story. Yeah. A Mississippi
5: woman (laughs) accused of robbing a bank and fleeing in a taxi has been arrested... News outlets report 35-year-old Dominique R. Spears was arrested at her apartment after a yellow cab driver told police that he picked her up at a Wells Fargo bank on Tuesday. No. Tuesday was a bad day. Bad day. Ocean Springs Police Captain William Jackson says the robbery was reported at 10.51 a.m. Responding officers received information that the suspect had left the scene in a taxi cab. A traffic officer followed the taxi and witnessed the driver drop off Spears at the reserve apartments at uh, about three miles from the bank. Police arrested
2: Spears on a robbery charge. Not Britney Spears, right? No. But, you know, we've talked about this on the show. It seems eerily similar to another story. You don't use a cab. You use Uber. (laughs) Always use Uber. Yeah, it does remind me of another story we had where a robber did use a cab, right?
5: All right, friends. Looks like we're here. 227 Mayberry Street. Oh, I've really enjoyed our time together and thank you for your patronage. Uh, looks like your total comes out to just wait here until we get back and leave the car running. Oh, well, fantastic. Looks like I'll have the pleasure of your company for. Oh, okay. I'll just wait here for you then! Shh! Keep your voice down! Oh, okay.
6: Good thinking.
5: At this hour, it's probably best to use my inside voice. Well, let's hear what's on the old airwaves tonight. Oh, I just love this song. It's always been one of my favorites. I'm going to sing along. Here we go.
6: Michael rode the boat ashore. out of here now
5: oh well welcome back what you got there a TV Uh, you want me to pop the trunk I would give you more space back there no we don't want you to pop the trunk just step on the gas and let's get moving Ooh, and what you doing with all the bottles of alcohol you and the missus observing an anniversary or something listen buddy we're gonna be observing a funeral if you don't put the pedal to the metal right now well sure whatever you say sir my, my, what a lovely evening. You know, I couldn't help but notice you're packing a Beretta there. Well, I remember when my daddy bought me a gun. Of course, it was just an air rifle, but I doubt all those crows could tell the difference, am I right? <laughs>
2: So do you feel exhausted at the end of the day? Frequently, many of us require a couple of energy drinks to get through the day. But what if you could energize your life without chugging a a monster or three-hour energy drink? How would that be for you? Well, our guest today may have found just a solution. We're going to revisit an interview with uh, Tom Rath, who's a best-selling author of the book, Are You Fully Charged? I begin the interview by pointing out uh, that with the schedules we keep nowadays, it's becoming harder and harder to feel energized.
7: Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you as you were talking about, and I was just thinking about it. We spend a lot more time stressing out about and worrying about charging our darn devices than we do uh, thinking about how do we make sure that we're charged as workers and parents and spouses on a regular basis.
2: Right, and and it's not. I mean, we it's almost like chemically we're looking just for a chemical charge. But what seems so interesting about your approach? In this book is it's there's more to get charged about than just having more chemicals in your system
7: yeah you know when I when we were looking at what does it really take for someone to be fully charged on a daily basis that we we weren't trying to answer the question of what are all the things that are important in life to have a really meaningful life over decades we were essentially going through a lot of research trying to determine what are the things that people need to remember to do on a daily hourly basis in order to finish a day and feel like you really had at least half the energy you possibly could. On average, when we started, we learned that just 11% of people said they had a great deal of energy throughout the day yesterday when they thought about the day in totality. So we've we've got a long ways to go there in terms of how uh, how much more energy and meaning and stronger relationships we could create on a daily basis.
2: That is sad. I mean, what are the rest of us doing? I get. I mean, if if eleven percent felt like they had a, a good, healthy dose of energy, I, I'm. I can only imagine what percentage felt like they had no energy.
7: Right. Is yeah, t- it's, it's not, Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, tell us what is what. Are, what are you finding? Is the key? What's the key to getting and keeping energy?
7: The key is really to think about and structure your day so that it guides you in the right direction and kind of nudges you in various places uh, so that you're making small decisions in the moment throughout the day that also happen to be aligned with all those long-term interests. You know, the book I worked on before this was called uh, Eat, Move, Sleep, and I learned a lot going deep on those topics around physical health from a behavioral scientist who's an expert on the topic of how our decisions and choices affect what we eat Brian Wansink. And, you know, he's done all those great studies that a lot of your listeners have probably heard of where if you have a clear bowl on the table with fruit, you eat a lot more of that than if you have a bowl sitting out with uh, candy or chips or unhealthy snacks there. And uh, He was a part of a documentary that we just finished around this most recent book, Fully Charged. And he talks about the way in his own home with for himself and his uh, wife and children, he has the... Uh, potato chips or the tortilla chips up in the laundry room in a cabinet that far away <laughs> just so it's not the first thing you see when you're in the kitchen or an area yeah. where you normally mm. eat. And beyond the area of just food and eating what I've learned through all my own research is that we can structure our days so we have more frequent interactions with the people who give us a boost throughout the day. We can uh structure the things we do at work so that we see the meaning our work is creating for other people and We can structure our routine so that we're active while we're working throughout the day instead of sitting dormant in a chair for eight hours on a typical workday. So there are all these little things we can do structurally, small adjustments that are also aligned with the long-term goals that we all know we should be thinking about but are not taking time to do.
2: Yeah. Is it – you break it down into – the book down into three, I guess, kind of areas, meaning, interaction, and energy. Talk to us. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, those. What I mean. It seems like, first of all, just having a job that you can go to every day that has some meaning for you is 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 something that that anybody could do. And even if you already have the job and there's not so much meaning in it for you, can't we create meaning?
7: We can. You know. It's, sometimes you hear a word like meaning or mission or purpose. And they sound like these much higher-level needs that might descend from above on a really sunny day. Yeah. But when scientists go in and study how meaning is actually created in jobs, by asking they asked uh, uh, Teresa Amabile, excuse me, at Harvard and her uh, colleagues asked 10,000 workers to write journals about their days across a variety of professions. Went back and studied all these journals entries of what led to well-being, what led to satisfaction in people's jobs. And they found that the number one thing that created uh, good jobs for people, that where people enjoyed what they were doing is they found small ways to connect the meaning of the work they were doing on a daily basis. And so when you look at uh, food service workers, for example, when they can see the people they're cooking food for, they do better work, they make higher quality food, they even make more nutritious food when you can see your customer mm-hmm. um, and same thing applies in very different job where it struck me they were looking at a group of radiologists, and I would have thought well if you 're a radiologist you 're doing meaningful work you 're trying to save people with cancer or heart disease on a daily basis right, right. But when you when they looked at these radiologists and they had one group of radiologists just keep doing their normal work for several days, a second experimental group went through and they had a photo of a patient appended to the record. So instead of just seeing an anonymous patient number and name, you could see a picture of that, the face of the person. They wrote 23% longer reports based on the scans they were looking at, and it increased their diagnostic accuracy by 46%. Hmm. So it, even if you're doing meaningful work, you've got to find ways to step back and connect how your efforts today serve another human being at a very basic level.
2: Yeah, and and that takes. I mean, that takes intentionality. You gotta you gotta make that happen, don't you?
7: You gotta make that happen, and then if you can help another person to do that, sometimes it's easier to do that on behalf of someone you care about—a friend or a colleague—than uh, it is to do it for yourself on a regular basis.
2: That is so true. In your book, too, you talk about small wins are a great way to create and and, and connect some meaning. What do you mean by that?
7: Yeah, you know, it's really the – we have these kind of myths of these grand, big projects and efforts that you put a lot of time into. But we have a, – there's a fundamental human need for progress and to see that you did something that made a difference. You didn't just get to inbox zero. You had one conversation. Even if you're working in a call center, for example, and someone calls in and they're irate and so frustrated they never want to do business with your organization again, and if you just get that person back to neutral, that may be a bigger win than you can imagine in terms of how that's minimized stress and hostility in that person's subsequent interactions as they move forward throughout their day. And so acknowledging those little things can be very powerful throughout the day.
2: And I guess that's why you organize this, like you kept talking about our day, our daily, our daily structure. If I'm doing a bunch of things that don't necessarily seem like wins to me, or if I'm not connecting them to meaning, then I'm spending my day doing things that don't reinvigorate
7: me. Right. And that's, it is important. I think it's a great thought that you've got to find those little things where you notice that they do reinvigorate you throughout the day and make sure you find and build even more of those opportunities into the following day. The, The second real key that, uh, we learned in the research that people need every day is we need a far more positive than negative interactions and it sounds obvious on the surface but there's a lot of science behind the fact that one negative interaction essentially counterbalances three four five positive interactions and so um, we need to figure out how even in just brief interactions with strangers if you're ordering a cup of coffee or you bump into someone in a coffee shop how do you Keep more and more of those interactions. At least eighty percent of them have a little bit more of a positive bent than a negative bent.
2: Wow! And uh, (laughs) I'd never thought of that because I, in my, when I'm off the air, eventually I, I go see clients and talk to clients, and a lot of the clients are having negative interactions. So if I don't compensate by making sure a lot of my other interactions are highly positive, I that could be one of the sources of energy drain.
7: Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things that I've Realized uh, the first the first book that I worked on was uh, called How Full Is Your Bucket and it was all about this uh, simple theory I learned from my grandfather about you know every little interaction you make a choice that either uh, essentially picks someone up a bit or it takes something from their bucket that day and it, it, the the thing that I think we're all um, kind of just blessed with in terms of having the opportunity and the choice is that we can't control the random stranger we bump into who might be in a really bad mood today but we get to choose our response. And Mm. in that choice of a response, we can either do something that um, makes things a lot worse for that person and for ourselves, or we can choose to try and turn that around. And at a minimum, that protects us and it protects our friends and family members. We'll see for the rest of the day, and it might even help that other person a bit.
2: Wow. uh, I agree. totally. And and, and the choice constantly, always, I guess, is ours. We can't, like you say, you you can't... Determine everybody's mood, but I can I can turn mine around, and I can even turn around how I see it, how I interpret it. Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, six-time bestseller the, Tom Rath is his name. If you've ever heard of these books, the book we're talking about today, "Are You Fully Charged? Eat, Move, Sleep," from 2015 was huge. Strengths Finder, Strengths-Based Leadership. How full is your bucket? Well-being, Vital Friends. Some great books, deeply and I think incredibly researched, -researched. well-researched, the latest research with uh, great psychology, folks. It's, It's a perfect combination. Stick with us. We'll continue with our author, Tom Rath, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Tom Rath is on the phone with us. Um, he is the author of the latest, his latest book, Are You Fully Charged? The Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Your Life. He's been talking about uh, the need for, you truly need some form of, you know, interaction. You need, when it comes right down to it, you need the energy to do it. And you need some connection to, to, to mission, to purpose, um, meaning in life. And uh, that's all found in his book, Are You Fully Charged? Tom, welcome back to the show.
7: Thanks so much. It's been fun talking to you.
2: Good having you again. Uh, talk to us about um, this idea of finding a, a higher calling. I mean, it seems like in our market economy, everyone's looking for a, a job that brings in the cash. But what does the research say about having a higher calling than just cash?
7: Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating to me how money obviously matters, and it matters a lot in terms of meeting our basic needs of food and shelter and sustenance, being able to provide for our families. So money matters, but yet we often make decisions about our job and career and what we do for our families that act as if or treat money like it's the only outcome or the only dependent variable. And all of the research that I've looked at on daily well-being, on well-being over a lifetime, makes it pretty clear that money is one of four or five important things in our lives. And things like our social relationships and the meaning we're contributing to the world and our physical health, those actually matter may matter more than the financial part of the Mm. equation. And a lot of really good work uh, coming out over the last decade from Gallup and other places makes it pretty clear that most of the stress and negative emotions uh, provided by money are alleviated once you reach a level somewhere between forty dollars and $75,000 of household income in the United States in particular. And after that point, we may imagine that every doubling in uh, income doubles our happiness, but it really only improves our happiness by uh, around 8%, roughly, from some of that work with each doubling of income. but yet we put so much priority on that and it, it it's probably a lot more important that we have that attachment of mission and purpose and meaning to our work and continue to strive for that over time once we've reached a basic level of financial substance uh, you know there's a, a researcher at uh, yale amy brisnevsky who she she talks about and has studied how we essentially can progress from a job that's just not that much more than a paycheck to a career and then to having a true calling in life which is where you're doing something that you feel is kind of the embodiment of your life's work and you know it's making a real difference to society and i think we always we're all going to find ourselves at various points on that continuum over a lifetime where sometimes you do just need a job because it's hard to get a job right and you can find you can once you have that job you can continue to Take away at something that turns into more of a career and eventually a calling over time.
2: It, uh, it, it seems like in a lot of your work, Tom, people matter. Um, and like you brought up earlier, the interactions that we have with people are one of these keys that could bring us energy. I guess they, they can also, it might be an also sometimes a source of the lack of energy. Give us some of your, um, just some strategies we can have to to make better you know, use of our interactions, or it's better connect into these relationships and these people in our lives?
7: Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question, because it may be focusing on the importance of building and growing our best relationships may be the thing that we underestimate most in our lives. I, uh, My late graduate advisor, Christopher Peterson, he started off the first day of my uh, master's program with a slide in PowerPoint, and he said, I'm going to give you the whole degree in one slide, and it's other people matter. (laughs) Um, And it it still just rings so true for me on a daily basis where there's nothing that matters more than the people around us for our overall well-being. But yet we so often don't take the time to step back and nurture and develop those relationships. And as you said, it's also important to acknowledge if there are people that you interact with on a daily basis who constantly stress you out and are essentially giving you secondhand stress at work each day, how can you build your days to minimize that effect a little bit? I think uh, most of your listeners probably have someone that comes to mind when they hear the person that gives you secondhand stress. <laughs> you know, I've been conscious of how do I minimize the secondhand stress that I'm exuding and radiating to other people. I know there are times when I'm in a rush throughout the day just trying to get a lot done, and when people come into contact with me, I'm probably in in a mode that – rubs off as stress for other people. So how do you make sure that you're not radiating that energy throughout the day as well? And then just, I mean, in this day and age, to take the time to have a conversation where you're genuinely listening to someone you care about with your smartphone not even visible or anywhere in sight is another very important thing to do. I, I was struck by some of the research as I was working on this latest book about how If I take my phone out and place it on a table, even if it's powered off, it's not ringing or dinging or buzzing or anything else, that sends an implicit message to everyone around the room that that phone comes before them and it degrades the quality of the conversation for everyone in the room.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. You've been in a meeting where they do that, right? Where they – you know if that phone rings. I've been in a divorce mediation and somebody takes a call and you're thinking, are you kidding this is the most important meeting you're going to have that will impact the rest of your future. And you're going to just go negotiate your cleaning at your house. Right.
7: And that's, we've got to stop and think about what, what really deserves to break into an important conversation in life and what doesn't. And then how do you minimize all those other distractions, whether it's through do not disturb or turning a ringer Mm -hmm. off, or I've been so conscious with uh, my kids are uh, five and seven now and, to make sure that I just have the phone completely stowed away when I'm spending good time with them as much as possible.
2: It, it is psychological. I've seen somebody just literally on their phone, you could see their pecking order of where you fit in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Some Certain people they won't go to. Other people, they'll immediately choose over you. Um, so putting the technology away, and I love the idea, too, of making sure that we don't radiate this stress. Um, anything else that when it comes to... I mean, if I, I remember our last interview was on Eat, Move, Sleep, which is such a great resource. If you just are low in energy, Eat, Move, Sleep, go get that book because that's – it's a definite source. What else do we need to know before we let you go about um, being charged and fully charged?
7: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the energy piece because it, what I've learned on how do we make sure that we're better listeners and spouses and parents on a daily basis – A lot of it does come back to those micro choices where um, I I realized this as I was working on that book, Eat, Move, Sleep, about the physical energy part where um, I I went out to lunch on a real nice day, kind of like today, sunny, and a nice day to be out hiking around with my kids. We went out to brunch, and I had a a really unhealthy lunch. I, I, I didn't, I'm not that good at resisting temptation and got a big, Uh, eggs benedict comes covered in hollandaise sauce and Mm. fried potatoes it comes out with biscuits and gravy i just eat everything on the table and normally i think okay you indulge once in a while it's not a big deal but that day i connected the fact that i was half asleep on the couch and my daughter was asking me to go play at the park and i didn't have the energy to be a good dad because of the little choice that i made at brunch that day and we see that play out countless times. There there are hundreds of small choices we make, not only about what we eat, but whether we go for a brief walk at lunch, whether we initiate a conversation with someone and ask them a question and then genuinely listen while they uh, walk by us in the hallway at work one day. And it, it's in those choices that shape our daily well-being. And what I've learned from this recent research is that, to a large degree, our lives are the accumulation of those little choices that – not only affect us, but then continue to have an important influence once we're gone, ideally.
2: Oh, so true. And and the micro the, the 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 day is made up of, I guess, dozens and dozens of these micro choices, but they could they really set the table for the rest of the day. And they the do, rest and of the relationships.
7: The rest of the relationship and then if you if you make the right choices and you get a little activity and you have some good conversations and you do a little meaningful work. It's a lot easier to get a good night's sleep that night, and it starts an upward spiral where you have progressively better days.
2: Mm. As we wrap it up, Tom, what what would you say uh, is, is the number one thing we all just need to remember? Hands down, this one idea pays huge dividends in our energy and feeling fully charged in life. What's something we can all walk away with today?
7: You know, I think the thing that has probably changed my uh energy levels and productivity most in in recent years has been to try and find ways to have these meaningful conversations and to do work while I'm moving around and it, it may sound simple but we've spent a century architecting our lives based around the principle that we should sit down all day after laying down all night and the more you're active throughout the day whether you're I'm just kind of pacing around on a a headset as we talk right now, for example, instead of sitting in a chair, because I think better when I'm moving around. And Mm. I have more enlightening conversations with my wife and kids and friends when we go out for a walk and talk. And so I encourage people just to minimize the amount of time they spend sitting starting today. Try and add as many little steps. Don't worry about exercising, just add as many steps into your life and you'll see that you have more and more energy as you continue to do that
2: yeah tom rath we appreciate you keep up the great work you got another book in the works though
7: not right now we're just have a documentary around this fully charged with a lot of these experts whose research i've talked about that's coming out this month and um so we've been pretty focused yeah. on that right now
2: okay well we'll be looking for that and uh everybody go to tomrath.org great website his blog his books everything you need there and the information on the documentary is there tom rath thank you so much for being with us
7: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.
2: You bet. Great stuff, folks. Great source uh, and resource for all of us. Um, Great, great information necessary to, to get your life back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time, folks, to talk medical news. Uh, <laughs> Terry's got a little medical update
4: for us. like how I'm the one that gets this the medical This is great news. news. So, Matt, you've talked uh, many times bragging about working yeah. in an ambulance. Yeah. You I, I, save you know, lives. I,
2: you know, I've been on the front lines.
4: Yeah. I've been uh, helping a lot of lives. You did the heavy lifting. Have I've you ever CPR. used yeah.
2: laughing gas? Nitrous no. oxide. I mean, not... Not at in an ambulance. I mean, it, my wife and I so use it at home. You, more a of a
4: recreational situation <laughs> <Yeah>. for you.
2: <laughs> we love some laughing gas. So, no, I've never even heard of it on an ambulance.
4: So it says normally used in dentist office and hospitals, nitrous oxide, which otherwise known as laughing gas, is starting to turn up in ambulances in some rural areas where medical workers with clearance to provide more traditional painkillers often aren't on board. Right. Right? So it gives advanced emergency medical technicians who are a step down from higher level paramedics a way to help relieve patients' pain and anxiety on what can sometimes be long trips to the hospital in rural areas. Right? Sure. So it says for someone to be in pain for that extended period of time, you know, we want to ease the, ease the pain, says uh, Scott Bert Brickman, a chief emergency medical services in Stowe, Vermont a ski resort town that sees many injuries oh, that related. that would be a great
2: place for it. And they
4: started using nitrous a year ago. Nitrous oxide equipment has been sold in ambulance crews in at least 30 states in the past three years, including Maine, New York, North, North Dakota, Oregon, Texas, and Wisconsin. Um, it's been more commonly used in ambulances in Europe and Australia. Mm. So other, others have been using it. It's also not an opioid, a bonus for the country grappled with the drug crisis. Yeah. Experts have blamed prescription opioids for spikes in overdoses. Some patients simply might not want to give, uh, to be given an opioid, even right. though you're in pain, right. you don't want that, and uh, their injury doesn't require something so strong. But that's <laughs> you know, so so it gives them a different option. Right. When you're not cleared to give the higher you know, higher painkiller, you can give them some nitrous, and they'll feel better and they're relaxed. That's Couldn't awesome.
2: we all use a little more nitrous oxide in our oh, lives? For sure. But now it's going to. I think now there's going to be. I don't know, a rush to everybody wanting to crash into a tree. Well, yeah. So they can get in the back of an ambulance.
4: Uh, in uh, Vermont, for example, a woman who dislocated her shoulder asked not to be given narcotics. They gave her laughing gas. She felt great on the way to hospital, on the way to the so hospital. Good. It, it's delivered through will breathing through a mask or a tube, but the patient yeah. holds so they can regulate how much they're getting.
2: See, but like did you know oxygen is it's a medicine. Did you know that so you, you As an EMT, we're licensed or certified to give somebody oxygen, but you couldn't, I couldn't give them other things. We have to wait for a paramedic, which is the, is the next level medic up, to come in and give a, a bigger dose. So now apparently there's, there's a certain level of technician that can give nitrous oxide. They
4: do give the warning. It, can, it in, in itself has the potential to be used as a recreational drug and can be misused by providers and patients – it can also be stolen and used oh, for yeah. other uses oh, that yeah. way. So there is some, some, but that's the same with any kind of medicine, right? right. But in a, in, a, in a regulated, controlled situation, you can help relieve pain.
5: What woo! happens if the EMTs that are supposed to be helping you are the ones taking the laughing gas? It's going to be a great ride. <laughs>
2: You're just driving. Oh, it's it's intense in the back of an ambulance. Woo woo! Sirens Imagine. going. Mm.
4: See? There you go. We lost him. What are you going to do? Shouldn't have taken that hit. Darn it. Too much nitrous.
2: But you know what? Now when somebody does have, you know, a bone sticking out of their body, it's better. Now you can just give them some gas instead of, you know, covering their mouth from screaming with an oxygen mask.
4: Okay. You could you could actually maybe, just— Maybe if you reach bone sticking out of leg, you might want to have some narcotic of some kind to— but that sounds like some extreme pain. Right. But again, these guys
2: may not have the paramedic to administer that. And you're not, and they're not allowed to do it. And it's a ski
4: resort. So and I don't know, if you know
2: this, but they're constantly in contact with the hospital anyway. And the doctors are telling them what to do, the medics to do anyway. So the medics are being told by the doctor, OK, give him 50 cc's of whatever. And then they just.
4: Oh, well. Wow.
2: So, I mean, it's. We it's,
5: could use some nitrous on this show. Yeah, that's what I think it would help. That's what
2: uh-huh, that's what Don said. <laughs> they have a new shipment of nitrous coming in. If only we could get all of our listeners to have some. Well, folks, uh, we'll continue the journey. This uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and laugh on the way to the hospital. We'll be back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your guide on the
3: side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at DrMattShow.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered as we uh, are now in hour number three of our wonderful program. If you've missed any of the previous uh, hours, you will want to go back. Uh, You'll learn about Tiny Tim Tebow. Matt did a wonderful impression. (laughs) Anyway, you can go to iTunes to tune in. Go to Stitcher.com. You can go pretty much anywhere. Go to BYUradio.org. Go look us up, at Dr. Matt Tweets. I mean, we're everywhere.
5: We just got a tweet yesterday that we used on the show. Yeah, why does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. I just want people to know that tweet, and maybe we'll talk about it on
2: the air. Tweet, and your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> Is that, I, I always like to watch Terry's face. Did you see a putty cat? I, I did. We're need. we we're going to eventually get some video streaming in here because the – Terry's face, he'd be a horrible poker player. I
4: am. I'm terrible at that game.
2: Because everyone can tell when you like something or you don't like something. And right then you did not like our little tweet joke.
4: Nope. Did not approve. But that's fine. And, well, and it
2: would have gone unnoticed,
4: mm. except you had to draw attention to it. Well,
2: not everybody has a good sense of humor. We
4: learned why wow.
5: Slurpees are, are are called Slurpees and not Suckies.
2: Yeah. That's right, <laughs> because you got to done. You guys got, got stuff to slurp. Um, uh, let's get to the headline. Speaking of slurping, oh, oh Excuse boy, me? Don's here. uh Oh, I just wanted Don's to here. tell you something that's really what? good news. What are you expecting? No. Okay. I do what have is it? A, I do Don? have that special glow. that anytime somebody um, says I've got good news, yeah,
5: yeah, because we do have a jar of pickles in here in case you are. not I was Don't. wondering what was the fact. <laughs> Don't of the ask. Don't video. ask. What's up, Don?
2: Uh, well, just this morning, uh, do you any of you guys have that Alexa, you know, or no, Echo or no. any of those things? We we, we have an Alexa at our house. Do you really? Yeah.
5: And so if you ever say something like, "Alexis would be a nice car to drive," suddenly she perks up and goes, "Yes, can I help you?" You know,
2: let me get
6: you one, Don. <laughs> but
2: anyway,
5: but uh, yeah, if you have like an Amazon Echo or uh, a Lex Alexa, now yeah, what's it called, Alexa? All you have to do is say, Alexa, play BYU radio. Really? And there it is. And it Matt pops Townsend. up.
2: In your home. Are you serious? You, you can just erect. go through your Alexa yeah, or yeah. your Echo. Yep, yep. Echo, Echo, Echo. Right, right. So just wanted to tell people that, uh, you know, if you have a Don. person, they're probably listening to it right now and not listening to you. But uh, I know. Now they're going to play with their Alexa. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> there you go. Way to Good distract day. the show. That's great news. Now, before, it used to, Alexa was causing problems because you could be charged with a crime. From, well, the Echo. Yeah. Oh, the Echo. Well, it's the same thing. Just
5: yeah. Alexa's it's the a trigger. So mm-hmm.
4: every time you've said that, you've triggered, if it's playing in a room, now keep, people's, Alexa, you know. It's its Alexa, yeah.
5: its name is Alexa Echo.
4: Alexa. There was a fun, um, was it South Park? Yeah, they had an episode. Their season premiere, they had some Alexa jokes and Google Home jokes and Siri jokes and people were reporting on Twitter how all their devices are lighting up across (laughs) their house. Oh, that's good news. Yeah.
2: That's really good news. So um, another way to listen to the show. Just tell your Echo, listen to BYU Radio. Hey, and by the way, if you really want to listen to the show, if you invite us over for dinner, Mm. we'll do the show live from your living room. Oh, yeah.
5: Or a version of it. Especially if you do nachos. If you make some nachos, I'll be there. Nacho
2: show.
4: Hmm. It's
2: called the nachos show.
4: We'll work on it. We yeah. can work on it. We're still working on the branding. Yeah. Apparently the test group there wasn't really happy with your performance. So yeah. we'll fix that.
2: It's fine. I've always wondered where that test group, where they all are right now. Like, are they, where are they located? They seem angry just because yeah. they We've probably... got them over here in the corner.
4: Yeah. That's the
2: problem. Um, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on that is, that's critical we should be paying attention to?
4: House Majority Whip Steve Scalise returned to Capitol Hill Thursday for the first time since being shot in the hip of the Republican Congressional Baseball game in June, if you remember that. That's great news. He uh, seriously wounded in the attack. He says his femur was shattered. His hip and pelvis had serious damage. There were A bullet went through, and they did some mm. uh, damage to areas that he had had to be shored up with steel plates. That's yeah. always a good line. Shored up? Yeah. And Isn't that they, like he, what they do with, like, a, a whale? An embankment mm-hmm. at a freeway? Right. Stop some overpass. erosion. Says so they did a phenomenal job of rebuilding, you know, kind of like rebuilding Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. <laughs> so he's back to work. He's back today. There's a... Uh, Uh, I think CBS, their morning show, did an interview with him. If you want to see that, it's kind of interesting. Uh, The U.S. economy recorded its fastest pace of expansion in two years, growing at 3.1% annual rate for the second quarter, the Associated Press reports. The revised numbers for the economy's output of goods and services between April and June slightly slightly exceeds the 3% estimate made a month ago and shows improvement since the 1.2% in January and March. So Mm. the economy is moving along, not at where it should be, but it's doing better. Uh, The White House announced Thursday that President Trump has waived the Jones Act at the request of Puerto Rican uh, governor uh, down there, uh, Ricardo Rosalo. The 1920 law requires all maritime traffic between the U.S. ports to be on U.S.-built ships, owned primarily by U.S. companies and staffed by U.S. crew. And Democrats and some Republicans have argued that it was hindering the relief efforts to the storm-damaged territory, so they finally just got rid of the... Suspended it. They already suspended yeah. it for uh, Just relief in Irma and Harvey, mm-hmm. and, but they didn't do it for Maria in, in Puerto Rico, so now they've done that, so they can get that out of the way. Problem solved. Uh, Other news, the Senate Intelligence Committee is requesting that Google executives speak to the panel as part of its investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Federal officials have expressed concern that Russian government-linked groups tried to exploit social media and the internet companies to spread disinformation. So now we're looking at a November 1st hearing. Facebook confirmed it has received an invitation to that hearing but did not say whether they have accepted yet. Uh Google, Google and Twitter will also be in attendance. It's the who's who of... What is messing things up? Apparently,
2: yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, that one version.
4: It's also kind of what makes like TV better. Yeah, for me. So, I don't absolutely. Know which way you want to go? Also, there's rumors that Peyton Manning, the former yes. NFL quarterback, may be running for the Senate to take Senator Bob Corker's uh, Corker. seat. Uh, there's another <laughs> senator from Tennessee that would be stepping down soon, he might wait for that one in 2020. Who knows? But Peyton Manning may be looking at politics. Oh, he'd be a great wow. senator. He can't turn, Go his, long. He can't Go turn long. his head. Can he, he? Yeah. He can't really throw deep anymore, but he's and, Peyton Manning. But from
2: Tennessee, huh? That's cool. That's where, yeah. That's where he's... Yeah, well, he I,
4: went to school in Tennessee. Louisiana is where his family is in Baton Rouge. Okay, Roos. yeah. But I, I, don't, I think he may live in Tennessee. Yeah. That's where he went to college. Why would I mean, Yeah. And finally, a woman uses a, uh, a bounce house to teach a persistent suitor a lesson. So this woman... Was she politely turned this guy down for a date? Oh, yeah, he's like, no, I'm not interested. You know, no yeah, no problem. I'm She's polite about wash it. My hair. Uh, the guy didn't take no for <laughs> an answer, so she found the best way to teach him a lesson, and the internet, and soon won't forget. So the woman named uh, Legan Wilson, the the, the the guy, like for whatever reason, he said she, she said no to the date. He sent her like a picture of his credit card. Oh wow! Hmm. So just in case you need anything at all. So she went, okay, fine. So she ordered a bounce house and set up a block party for her neighborhood. <laughs> and her boyfriend. And, and, and she said, uh, she tweeted, you're all invited to my bounce, bouncy castle party funded by the guy that sent me his credit card after I said no to a date. Yet he still seemed surprised when he got the confirmation email for the bounce house. He texted, babe, what is this? And she wrote back, you said anything, right? I got a bounce house. <laughs>
5: See, but haven't you ever been in one of those relationships <laughs> where the other party just doesn't realize it? The, like, the, yeah. No, in the, your the, mind, you've been dating for years. That's why
2: he can say things like, babe,
5: what's this all about? Let's yeah. talk. Yeah. It seems a little I've never, too I've never familiar. been in a re-
2: relationship like that. Huh. I've also never sent somebody I was dating my
4: credit card. That seems like the fatal flaw in the whole problem there, yeah. Like, babe? What about dude?
8: There was a send your card.
4: There was an NBA player who was really young, but got his, like, you get your rookie contract, it's yeah. like three to five years, and once that expires, you get your next contract, and that's when the money goes up. Right. Usually, if you're okay or good or whatever. This guy got a bigger contract, so he got the black credit card. Yeah, the black Which American is like the exclusive, high-spender high, high right. Spender type of credit card. So he took a picture of it. He put it between his teeth. Cause that's what you do, and it—you could see the number, the expiration date, all of it right there. And but just, you didn't have the security code. He just put it out on that, Twitter. Oh, you have to have that security code. Some but maybe places, not don't, on ask. Black Some places don't ask. Some places don't ask. American Express. So yeah, he had to get new credit cards after that. But it's like people don't quite grasp the security needed when it comes to your credit card. You, um, you learn—you
2: learn very quickly what to do, what not to do. Mm. You know, once everybody starts charging up. Uh, your bills. That's really great news about uh,
4: Representative Scalise. Yes. I mean, thank heavens. He's probably walking. I mean, I imagine you got a limp. It's probably not fully healed. I mean, his whole like lower half of his body, it seemed like had to be rebuilt. Yeah. But just the fact that he's out of the hospital, that he's able to go back to, you know, day to day activities, that's got to help him out like emotionally and just physically be able to Get back to work. Get back to normal yeah. as much as possible.
2: Did you hear the news about- um, And he also missed all the health care. All well, the health care votes. He was out. Well, actually, he's no, he was doing some research on health care. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> some intensive research. Uh, okay. And now as the bills start coming in, he'll realize how important a health care bill really is. Okay. Yeah. Well. Right? Like, isn't that why Jimmy Kimmel's all over it? Because yeah. he has a son that went through a lot of surgeries mm-hmm. and- Now he's like, I've got an opinion on this.
4: Yeah. Um, Of course, he does have a lot more money than most of us. And he, you know, fully says, he goes, I'm lucky I have insurance. Yeah. But a lot of people don't. Right. And now we're trying to pass laws that is going to make more people not have insurance. So what's the logic in that? Speaking of money and, and, you know, taking care of people, do you know who Deshaun
2: Watson is? I've heard the name, yes. Quarterback. The new quarterback for the
4: Texas. He was a Clemson quarterback. Yeah. Clumsy quarterback? Clemson, Clemson. University of.
2: Uh, Houston Texans uh, rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson didn't keep his NFL, his first NFL game check. He got a check from the NFL for his very first game he played. Did he frame it? No, he took it and gave it to employees of the stadium where they play football, the cafeteria employees who have all been hit by Hurricane Harvey.
5: Wow, that's awesome. So he awesome. divided
2: his checkup for all of the employees in the cafeteria. Pretty cool. See, why can't we see more of that like, instead of – See, let's, that's just that's kneel it. and hold arms. But this is, this is why – this is a perfect example. Uh, and, and J.J. Watts like, raised how – how much money total did he I raise?
4: Thought I thought it was like $35 million. $35 million. million. That's so amount.
2: that's why the NFL has such potential to do so many great things. And then we get caught up in the protest. Which, I mean, it's important. We People got to stand by each other and we need to move forward. A lot of stuff in this country. But also, let's not overlook the really good things that are being done by individual players one by one. Powerful stuff. Deshaun Watson, I'm going to give him an early uh, hero of the day vote. Wow. Even though we have another hero that sure. will be coming up uh, a little bit later. Boy, good stuff. Let's get to some empty news, um, really important news about, uh, again, and it reminds me of you, Jeff, because yeah. you, you you and your beautiful wife had a baby on the way into the hospital and almost made it to the lobby. Yeah, I
5: thought we were special and unique. And, yeah, she had our little boy right there in the lobby. Luckily, there was nobody else there. I don't think the same thing could be said of this couple. Actually, two couples. Two women have delivered healthy babies on back-to-back days in the parking lot of the same Burger King. (laughs) Yeah, this is in New Jersey. That's a whopper.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's Mm. a whopper. There's Mm -hmm. two of them. That's yeah. a mar-
5: marginal marginal applause. Tepid, that one. Tepid best, yes. So, Denville police say they were called to the restaurant Friday night for a woman going into labor. They say the parents were on the way to the hospital but got stuck in traffic and had to pull over. Of course, officers and emergency responders then helped the woman deliver a healthy son. The same patrol officers went back to the restaurant the next night for a report of another woman going into labor. So, apparently there's just a lot of traffic. Around this Burger
2: King. Well, yeah.
4: Well, they have those cheesy fries now. Oh, those cheesy Ooh. fries.
2: And the ones, the Cheeto ones. The, the Cheeto-dusted
4: uh. chicken finger things. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are.
2: I actually, I, I had some of those ones and felt like I was going into labor.
4: Yeah, that's probably the, that, no, that, that, that's how you know it's working. Yeah, I <laughs> so yeah,
5: breathe through it. Same story, two nights in a row, and I think they got uh, a baby back rib sandwich to go. I want my baby
2: back, baby back, baby
5: back. I don't know. Did they sell that product? It was kind of a combination of a restaurant named Blilly's Hmm. and a fast food place named Blick Donald's. So no is what you're trying to say. It sounds very
2: (laughs) (laughs) bad. Whatever it is, it sounds very, very bad. Blick
5: Donald's and Blilly's, they make you, you go blah.
2: What do you name your child? If uh, they were born in a Burger King parking, parking lot. King.
4: Royal. Ooh. Royal. Baron. Royal with cheese. Ooh, a royal with cheese. That's mm. great. But it's like a, it's a British burger, <sighs> but you know, it's fine. Combo. <laughs> I think Whopper. I think that's a good one.
2: Whopper's cute. Um, yeah, I don't know what you'd name them. French toast sticks. Would you like to supersize it? <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's a different restaurant. Okay, I'm not sure what they... They, may say, they go large, maybe. They go large. You know, so I might, think that's Carl's work. Jr. You'd have to look at the menu
5: I don't think really you really think about it. I don't think you can yeah. copyright the phrase, go large. Can you?
2: I already did. Oh. Going large! Go large. Oh, well. Okay. Well, don't go too large. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking with Karen Mangum, who is uh, our quarterback for BYU football team's mom... Tanner Mangum's mom, and Karen is a nutritionist. We have her on the show regularly. Today she's going to be talking about the the, the best foods you can be feeding your athletes. Like a lot of us are driving carpools, getting kids to and from their uh, sporting events, and Karen's going to walk us through how to keep them physically fit as they are trying to, you know, stay healthy, stay strong, and still feed the family. That's straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, our next guest is a great contributor. We have her on the show regularly. Her name is Karen Mangum. She's a licensed uh, and registered dietitian and a a seasoned recipe developer, a food blogger, and a nutrition consultant. Also, by the way, is the author and producer of Inside Karen's Kitchen, which is a wonderful blog if you want to learn how to eat healthier and be healthier. Just so happens, too, that Karen uh, is the mother of five children. One of her kids happens to be... A quarterback at BYU. Blah, blah 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 Who doesn't have a kid playing quarterback at BYU? Karen, thanks for being with us.
0: <laughs> Hi, Matt. How are you?
2: Good. Hey, I heard good news about your son Tanner is off of his scooter now, walking around. <laughs> off of his
0: little scooter. I think he kind of misses that little scooter. I bet I'm you around, can... Pretty quickly, he was very nimble on
2: it. <laughs> well, see, that's dangerous. What's it like, Karen, as a mom of a you know a college athlete to watch your boy get hurt on the field and and basically carried off?
0: Well, you know, up to that point, I I thought maybe BYU was going to do it this, again and drive yeah. that field and beat Utah and make it a great. Ugh. Um, thing for the for the team, and you know we want competition. But on that very last play of the game, he got hurt, and we were we were really really um, you know it was hard to watch.
2: Oh, I thought it's got to be so as hard as to channel. watch
0: for anybody. Yeah, you know no matter who it is.
2: And it doesn't because you've um, seen it on the little League fields all the time where moms want to run out and're and it's not cool you'll ruin your boy forever um
0: well i I'm no, I'm no stranger to injuries. all five of my children actually have are have played in, in in college and and throughout high school of course all of them every one of them there wasn't one of them who didn't get hurt oh. and and it's the um you know, the, you just hope it's not something that's season-ending yeah. or it's going to take a long time. And we've been through those. We've been through six ACL pairs. Have you, really? And three, well, let's see, four of those were with uh, two girls, two daughters. Were they really? And and the last one um, is now playing basketball for BYU. That's Abby. Is, so she, is she really? she through two ACLs. And she's playing with Jeff Judkins Oh, the team. what a We're great very coach, too! For her. Yeah. You know,
2: you you've you've done it, and I, maybe it has something to do with uh, the food you've been feeding. I know one of the things <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about is how we how we keep shuttling our kids around to all of these different ball games. A lot of times, what gets impacted as we get really active in sports is we don't we don't feed them the way we should.
0: Exactly. And, and that's what we want to talk about today, and how to, as a parent, support your children with healthy nutrition so they can perform to the best of their ability on the court or the, the football field. I, and this time of year, we're so busy, but we've got to take some time and, and encourage our children to take responsibility for it as well. Yeah.
2: What are some things that we can do to make it healthier? Because normally well, we, like, stop all, by McDonald's and grab something easy. But that's probably not the best choice.
0: Well, I heard your last story about the, the Burger King Yeah, babies, it'll put you I into know, labor.
2: Just,
0: <laughs> put you into labor. Yeah. So one of the first things that happens is kids just don't always take responsibility, meaning they may quickly get up out of bed on game day or even practice day, skip breakfast, I don't have time. Um, perhaps they eat an unhealthy lunch, something quick, um, and then after school, they, they're they now very unprepared for practice or for a game if they haven't eaten anything. So we've got to teach our kids to make sure that they eat a, a healthy breakfast, even just something quick. And I've suggested maybe something like even toast and egg or a fruit smoothie, a bagel with peanut butter and a banana sliced on top of it. That's delicious. Mm. And that takes very little time. A breakfast burrito, I've got a great recipe on my food blog um, that I just did recently. And I love those and they're easy to make even ahead of time the night before. And you can store them in the refrigerator. And then make sure they have some type of a healthy lunch. Pack that ahead maybe the night before and include some type of a protein sandwich or a a wrap. Wraps are so easy and they they take less time and they store really well. Mm in in foil Um, and then teachers children to eat snacks throughout the day have like little bags of peanuts uh, almonds jerky or even some dried fruit that they can carry around with them throughout the day to make sure they stay nourished throughout the day and even most importantly is right after school if they're coming home you can have um, they can you know eat a bowl of cereal or have another sandwich but if they're eating um, right before practice, then maybe something like a quick uh, cliff Bar or Power Bar, something like that, that has a lot of carbohydrate in it, um, not as much protein. It's the carbohydrates you want to be eating right before you work out. So just eating throughout the day, good reminders to your kids yeah. to make sure they have food with them.
2: And I guess that's the thing, too. I mean, that as you were just going through the list, I'm thinking that's really a lot of food. Like you have yeah. to they have it to is. have a good breakfast and then uh-huh. you want to have the lunch ready for them. But then you also want to have two or three snacks, it sounds like, yeah. and something right before the practice.
0: Yes, it is a lot of food, but it makes sense. And it's important for performance. Um, I Abby would take crackers, that's her favorite thing, and she would eat just these um, crackers right before basketball practice, and truly, it helped her get through it. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then coming home, we, we want to talk about the post-performance, that's yeah. important too. So
2: after, because they've now depleted themselves, right? They've mm-hmm, been working right. out for two hours. What do you feed them when they get home?
0: So ideally, you want to get a combination of carbohydrate and protein, The carbohydrates to help replenish the glycogen, which is the stored carbohydrate in our muscles, that has been depleted. So now we got to get that back in. And you can do that through pasta, rice, vegetables, and fruit. Those are really valuable carbohydrates. And then protein and making sure they get enough uh, protein. We don't need... The whole plate doesn't need to be protein, but yeah. we do want to make sure there's three to four ounces of chicken or lean beef or salmon, eggs, fish, you know, something like that on the and, and, plate. So but
2: this and, impacts the body, right? I mean, you've having yeah. all of these college athletes. I always wonder how they feed these people um, yeah. because well, it, I, I wonder if they're actually, if is it up to the student or like the student athletes, or is it, or are there nutritionists sitting there saying? you've got to have more glycogen that will help you recover faster.
0: To BYU's credit, um, they do have a um, nutritionist who, his name is Dan and he helps with the football team. Um, he has helped Tanner in many ways. Uh, Tanner needed to put some weight on this uh, last spring as he was getting, as he was lifting weights and Dan helped him do that safely. Huh. Um, and so he does give them meal ideas and, and suggestions, but again it's up to the right. to the individual player to really make those decisions now, after their practices, and this goes for all byu sports there are um, there's a nutrition center and a place to replenish, so they have things like um, chocolate milk um, and huh. bars protein bars endurance bars so
2: they, they need they, it really because it, if yeah, it's not a, if it's not on hand they I just noticed in my own world, if it's not on hand or in my bags i'm not I'm not going to eat it
0: exactly and so for your kids you your non you know, who don't have a nutrition center right there they have you their practice they really should come home um uh, and eat or right after practice eat a um a protein bar or some kind of like a peanut butter jelly sandwich they can have in their bag. Um, If they can't do that, then they should just come home and have a meal. Uh, Even a bowl of cereal because you've got the carbohydrate and the protein from the milk and
2: so that's a good choice, too. Yeah. No, it's and again, these are what I love about how you do this, Karen, is it's so easy. Um, let's take a break and come back and continue the discussion inside Karen's kitchen dot com. That's the website you go to. Karen Mangum is her name. She is your kids a nutritionist. Let her help guide your kids to a better uh, sports performance. A lot of it's going to depend on how much work you put into this. And um, but their health is worth the effort. It's worth the work. Up next, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, folks. We're talking about how to make sure your children have the nutrition they need to be a a top sports performer, right? To be able to do their job, even in Little League. They, they still need to have the healthiest options available to them, so helping us walk through that is Karen Mangum. She is um, the author and uh, the blogger at InsideKarensKitchen.com, fueled by foods that nourish and heal, and that's what uh, she's talking to us today about is some simple things we can do as parents. Uh, by the way, it takes preparation, doesn't it,
0: Karen? It does. It takes some thinking through when you're at the grocery store, what am I going to make sure I have here at home? so that the kids can just even grab and go if they need to. Uh, but at least they have something in them um, rather than performing on an empty stomach, which is going to by the ninth inning or the fourth quarter yeah. or, you know, the last set in volleyball. You, you've got to have something in the tank.
2: It's so true. You've taught us already that we need to really uh, make sure we they have a good breakfast and then make it— make a good lunch for them that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of high in protein, um, but also make sure that they have other uh, you know, things that they can eat throughout the day, snacks that are healthy like mm-hmm. nuts and dried fruit. And then another thing you brought up that I'd, I don't think a lot of us um, pay as much attention to is after a practice, what mm-hmm. we eat is really important to, uh, to help our muscles be able to recover.
0: Right. And one of the things, the question that comes up is, should I, you know, I drink these protein uh, drinks, should I drink them before or should I drink them after my workout? Um, I've heard that question a lot. What's
2: What's your take?
0: Ideally, you should drink them after, because before a workout, you really just need mostly carbohydrate, you need easily digestible carbohydrate, because you don't want food sitting in your stomach. When you work out, the body will is really its goal is to get oxygen and glycogen to the muscles and it ignores the digestive system.
6: Oh wow. So yeah. If
0: you've got food sitting in your gut, you're not gonna feel great. You're not gonna be able to perform as well. And you don't just so want sugar
2: wanted, either, right? You don't want to just have a skittles just, some Skittles before. Yeah,
0: not just Skittles. You want something kind of that's gonna I I mean Skittles will digest quickly, but they create kind of a rise to quick a rise in blood sugar. And then, you, you're, then you're not performing well either. So yeah. something that's a little easy to digest but goes straight to glycogen. And that's why cereal, crackers, um, a piece of bread, even on some of these bars that are primarily carbohydrates, you yeah. have to click on the label because there's lots of different kind of bars out there. And that's confusing in and of itself. And um, one of these days, I'll put a list of protein, great, uh, kind of a differentiation between all the different bars out there because you have to stand there forever and look at all the labels.
2: I know. And even yeah. when I'm reading them, I'm thinking, I wish I had Karen, a nutritionist here, to help me. Um, another, another point that you do bring up that I think is important is some foods are better at, at kind of helping fight inflammation as almost an anti-inflammatory, and some... All right, help us walk through those.
0: So when we exercise, our bodies produce um, their chemicals called free radicals, and they cause inflammation, swelling, soreness, and pain. And we can counter that, I mean, not completely, but a lot of us, you know, uh, will go out and work hard, and, and then maybe it's not until the next day or two that we feel the soreness. Mm. We can counter that um, a bit by eating what are called anti-inflammatory foods. And these are foods that have chemicals in them or nutrients that help fight inflammation. The more common one is vitamin C. And vitamin C you can find, of course, in um, oranges or any kind of citrus, mangoes, berries, uh, strawberries, even red bell peppers, green bell peppers have a lot of vitamin C. Another one is vitamin A, and that's carrots, um, sweet potatoes, anything orange or yellow is loaded in vitamin a and that too can help with inflammation. Um, and, and other chemicals that are less common, but we need them, uh, are called, they're called phytonutrients and there's thousands of them really like in red grapes. That's called resveratrol or in, um, tomatoes, it's called lycopene in dark chocolate. This is the one I love so much because I love dark chocolate. I don't know if your kids do, but, um, Oh, just as one to three, or sorry, an ounce of dark chocolate every day puts in a chemical called epicatechins. And epicatechins have a lot of anti-inflammatory. That's why they're great for heart health as well, because they help reduce inflammation.
7: That is,
2: I mean, to have these other options, and again, you have to plan ahead and have, I mean, some of those even diced up, ready to go.
5: Mm-hmm. What right.
2: about, are, are there I mean, are you very big into taking supplements, um, vitamin C pills, other supplements to to substitute for these, for the foods? Or is it better to just always go straight to the foods?
0: Well, it's better to go straight to the foods, particularly for the phytonutrients. You can't, those are not packaged. You you can't take that in a pill um, because there are so many different types um, and you want a wide variety of phytonutrients. But for some of the primary um, vitamins that are high in anti-inflammatory properties like vitamin A and C um, and even selenium, a good multivitamin every day for your kids is not a bad idea. I had um, Abby start taking a women's one-a-day huh. uh, every day, Her probably starting her junior year. And I tell you what, she did so much better. She had less colds and infections. Um, She, her, her body um, responded well to her hard workouts. And um, I think I credit that a little bit. Obviously she was also taking more responsibility for what she was eating. Um, But that was good. And also she's a girl who doesn't like, now get this, this is a dietitian's daughter, but she hates fruits and vegetables.
2: Does she really? Yeah,
0: totally. I can't. I can barely get her to eat. um, She'll eat spaghetti, the red sauce on pizza. (laughs) She'll eat chili um, and and like if it's combined, but she won't eat just like an orange or strawberries or. Oh, interesting. I can't get her to do that. She still doesn't. But she gets by. So she takes her vitamins and at least she's getting those in and then um, find ways to get some of the other phytonutrients in elsewhere.
2: Yeah. What, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, uh, two other things, I, well, drinking what and liquids, I'm assuming water would be the best option, but you do see a lot of yeah. athletes drinking these um, kind of the Gatorade drinks, those kind of drinks. Do we need to worry about that at, at, a, at a level with our children? I mean, is there too much of those, yeah. too little?
0: Well, ideally, if your workout is longer than 90 minutes, um, yes, you said replenish the, the electrolytes, meaning the potassium, sodium, chloride that you've lost your sweating. And so those type of replacement drinks are great. I would much rather a kid drink Gatorade or Powerade than Red Bull or Monster just mm. because of the, um, the caffeine and the stimulants that are in those drinks are not good for our kids at all. They stimulate the heart. Um, and then you go work out and stimulate the heart even more. That's dangerous for children, and they should not be drinking energy drinks at all at any time. So I would much rather you fill up on the Gatorades uh, at your house, um, and that's a good thing to drink right after a workout too.
2: Yeah, and um, and then a lot of water.
0: And then a lot of water, making sure, yes, yeah, that they drink. Lot. And then they, they should be carrying water around at school if they can, um, and get drinks all the time in between classes. That's important. And then just make sure that you're you're you know you don't want to overdo the protein, but make sure that they've got protein um, most every time they eat. Mm. Um, athletes do need fifty to eighty percent more protein than non-athletes, uh, so because they're utilizing and working their muscles, um, but putting in back in those amino acids is going to help the muscles develop. And that's important.
2: That's true. And you, and, you know, kids love to eat protein, too. I mean, it's, hey, there's a steak. Let's eat that. Karen, we appreciate you. This is great insight, I think, for all of us. Everybody, let's go check out as well her website uh, because when you think about it, honestly, these are your kids, right? And so anything you can do to make their lives healthier is going to be better for everyone. The website is InsideKarensKitchen.com, com, where you can get a list of everything we went over today. On her blog, there. We will continue the journey up next. Our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be telling us about their show coming up at the top of the hour. The Matt Townsend Show. There's the preview of tonight's uh, Thursday night football game. Uh, A little, we're going to link arms, is what's happening. The Packers are playing the Bears, Chicago Bears, and they're not going to have a protest. They're going to have a link up where everyone's going to link arms in the stadium. And uh, we are proposing this be the song they play as they unify everybody that we are more alike than we are not. And who better to help walk us through football and the joy of "We Are the World" song than two of our great friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem? Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How are we? Sporting. Sporting. Did you guys hear about the game tonight? The big uh, Lincoln. We're calling it the big Lincoln. Sh- link, uh, link, in. It's like a sit-in or a it's Zelda? like a kneel down. But instead, uh, the Bears and the Packers are going to, during the, at the beginning of that game, they're going to have everyone stand and link arms. I guess right. during the national anthem. Everyone.
1: Hooray! I did that at family reunions when I was younger playing Red Rover, but okay.
2: <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Spencer right over. Yes, please. And you can
1: watch that on uh, Amazon tonight. That's yeah. their first Thursday night.
2: Oh. Stream. What do you think of that? I mean that's got to kind of bug the networks. Well, that these young punks like Amazon. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's mean, it was Twitter about. last year. Yeah.
1: Uh, Amazon bought the rights for a
2: Everybody rate wants rate. a piece of it now, right? Everybody wants a piece.
9: Well, is Amazon upset because of the portrayed struggling ratings that they're
2: right. going through? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. They spend it all either this is money.
1: Or it isn't, right? It's either there's hard data with that. Yeah. It's either up or it's down.
2: And, and I'm sure they know.
1: And it's down a little bit, right? 11% or something?
2: Ugh. See, which is completely different than your show, by the way.
1: We're which up 1100
2: uh, 11%. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys, you're, that's what makes you special. Well, that and your rugged good looks. I
1: was going to well, say, yeah, it's, okay. I mean, it's how long more than will that, take right? Before we get to yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Hey, uh, we just got off the phone with Karen Mangum about uh um, and we talked about healthy food for athletes. And she told us a little update on her son. That her son um, is—he misses the scooter because he he was getting really good at it.
9: Oh, okay. And he was like X
2: yeah.
1: games
9: good.
2: So that's the like update X on games. Tanner Mangum. That's it. You can use that.
9: Nothing else. You don't know a specific date and time, no place when he's coming back to play football. For I didn't BYU? dare
2: ask his mother. I didn't dare. We Never talked about it. Here. I didn't ask the mother. I just, I asked, is it hard to watch him get hurt? And by the way, his daughter, their daughter, plays as well on BYU's basketball, basketball team, Lizzie, and she's Libby. she's had, I think, more or two knee injuries or something. Oh geez. So she's she says they're they're all good, but but Tanner does miss the scooter because he could he could more efficiently get around campus.
1: Well, maybe he'll use it on the field in a few weeks. Who knows?
2: Didn't you find it weird too that when he would ride his scooter around campus, he was still wearing his football helmet?
1: <laughs> I did think that was odd. I
2: agree. With it you. seemed like a little too much. Yeah, a little much. Hey, um, so tomorrow, tomorrow's is the game. Yes. And I, I just had a big discussion with my son, a BYU student. Okay. About what's going to happen here. So I want your take. What? I'm
9: so fascinated by do, this matchup between the Cougars and the
2: Aggies. This is this is big. This is a big deal, and the Cougars need to. They need to lead out.
1: They need to sports hard. Because if they don't, they may lose six games in a row (sighs) instead of just three.
2: Yeah. They need to sports hard. I'm writing that quote down. Yeah.
1: But if they win and the offense can kind of get it going, which, by the way, this just in, BYU's not playing a ranked Power 5 team this week. Yes! Which is great news. Yes. Uh, They're playing a team that traditionally they've uh, had success against. So... Uh, yeah, I'm interested to see it as well. BYU's had two weeks to figure out what to do with Bo Hodge as the quarterback and yeah. use his skill set, use his strengths, uh, for Ulatolutau to get into the mix as game two as the guy, for the BYU defense to play a team that doesn't push it down the field a ton, but did put up 61 points uh, last week in San Jose. So it's an intriguing matchup, one in which BYU is favored by two, now according to Vegas.
2: Mm. Oh, Really? No, they're favored by two points. It keeps
9: two. on dropping. Started at six and a half. Now
1: it's down to two. People like the farmers. Wow. Okay. Only.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Okay. I did not. That's kind of scary. Now I'm really getting more Oh, nervous. it is one and a half. No. Uh, we got to hurry changed. and have this game before it oh, keeps boy. dropping. It's back. moved five.
9: Plus. I hope they That's become the network. underdog before they kick off tomorrow night, Jerem. Let's go.
1: Should BYU be the underdog? Is the question. But yeah, you're yeah. right, Matt. This is an intriguing, very important game. I mean, there, there's there's a chance that BYU could go on a real tailspin if they don't win this game. They need this win really badly.
2: Ah, uh, and um, and I guess uh, brother Ty Detmer. He has he's decided he's he's learned that like don't put as much pressure on Bo. You know, to yeah. to have to make his quick just just let's just do what you know how to do, Bo. So so Bo calmed down a bit and and so maybe this is all good. It'll all I be good. I think it'll look different. They are going to simplify yes and cater to
9: Bo Hodge's skill set.
1: Food and place.
2: And, and so that actually means we might see the quarterback run more. And it will be easier for BYU to find success,
9: not facing one of the top ten teams yes, in the country. Yes.
2: That big meaty <laughs> line. Ooh, you okay? Yeah, I just, I just, a, I just heard just heard a cougar. A thunder yeah, no, I heard a cougar. Throat. I thought you guys had been eaten. Lightning and the thunder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Imagine dragons, baby. <laughs>
2: Coming that to Utah. Is good. In
1: Fifteen
9: days.
2: I know. They're 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 quite the group. Um so what's on your show, gentlemen?
9: Well, we're going to talk about how BYU's defense can help out Bo Hodge and the BYU offense by wreaking some havoc.
2: Yeah, that's going to win the game right there. It'll be there a defense. is a
9: havoc rate.
2: Oh, really? Matt, is there a havoc number? A havoc uh, standard number? Yes,
9: yeah. a havoc rate number. We will discuss cool. what that is right now and how it is significantly different compared to last year. Really? Yes.
2: Okay.
1: Plus, we'll talk to Super Bowl champion and former BYU Cougar, Brian Billick, who played at BYU. He also coached at Utah State. What is his take on the rivalry?
2: That's cool. You're, yeah. You guys have got a corner on the Billick market. Yes, we do. He joins us every week. I know. Remember it's awesome. We love it. Champ,
1: every week. We that love it. So he is awesome. so
2: approachable and, I know. and awesome to work with. And I like it. It's, it looks like he's just, he just sat up in bed and he just turned his, his webcam on.
9: Listen. Isn't that the life?
2: That's totally the life.
9: It was his idea, Matt.
2: I love it. It was his it. idea. I know. You, it's because you guys are that good. That's how well. it is. Well, it's totally true. Hey, uh, the show's uh, in four minutes, gentlemen. Uh, we're going to let you go so you can go get uh, waxed on and waxed off. Um, they're, they're the guys. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem straight ahead. Hey, at this point, we, always, um, we, we like to do a little hero story with you. And who better than to be a Georgia woman, listen to this story, this is so cool, a Georgia woman was shopping at her neighborhood Target this week when she went into labor. We've had a lot of labor stories today, whether it's um, Burger King or just, you know, a flashback to Jeff Simpson's baby being born in the lobby of the hospital. But lucky for this woman, Karis Lockwood happened to be there at the same time, and Lockwood is a labor and delivery nurse. So right by the store's entrance, Lockwood put her experience to work, and with the assistance of Target employees, she delivered uh, St. Pruys, I don't know how to say it, baby. Um, a healthy 7-pound, 10-ounce baby boy, Malik. How cool is that? Karis was God-sent and amazing. She was sweet and caring and exceeded everyone's expectations. She went way over, far and, ab- far and beyond, St. Prue said, after the delivery. According to a statement by the Piedmont uh, Health Care um, Service, that's uh, the hospital where she works. So she said, I'm grateful to God that she and the sweet baby boy were safe. It was a gift to me to be able to help. That, my friends, is what you call a hero, and we uh, we commend her for her great work. And really, all the nurses out there, the doctors, those people that have been treated or that have been trained to do medical treatments, think about it they're they're always on call wherever they go. If someone needs help, they have a special responsibility that a lot of us don't take on because we haven't learned those skills. So. Shout out to them. And again, folks, we can't do the show without you. We're here uh, 9 to noon Eastern every Monday through Friday. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. But until then, stick with BYU Broadcasting.